Next Chapter Podcasts. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Love this song so much. Well, it's Saturday night. You're all dressed up in blue. I've been watching you for a while, Ski I'm watching you too. Tougher Than the Rest by Bruce Springsteen from his 1987 album Tunnel of Love. It's also number 467 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. What is up, Fleece Army? I hope you guys are having a beautiful week. I hope everybody is enjoying the cast. And I hope everybody is enjoying my and your journey through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums. I'm loving it to death. And I'm loving the reactions from all of you guys online. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in. Thank you for doing the Instagram stories. I say it every week, but take a picture or actually a screenshot of how you're listening to the 500 and tag me at Josh Adam Myers and give a hashtag the 500 podcast so I can get a 24 hour ad on your social media, guys. Hook a brother up. Hook the king of fleece up, y'all. The calf needs it. Today in music for June 19th. This is a fun one. In 2004, an audience member hurls a lollipop on stage while David Bowie is performing in Oslo, Norway. The lollipop wedges itself in David Bowie's left eye. I don't know what the fuck wedges means. Was that like right in the cut? Like right in the, in the doodle dang? Which already has an enlarged and frozen pupil following a childhood fight. Dude, Bowie's a badass motherfucker, dude. But Bowie halts the concert to remove the lollipop. Luckily, he escapes serious injury. I would love to know how far away the guy was that threw it. Guy could be a girl. I have no idea. I don't know why I just assumed it's a guy. It's a kind of a guy thing to do to throw something. But the fact that this guy has a lollipop... Girls have lolly. That's like a, it's a big Oslo feminine thing to, to lick lollipops while they watch their favorite band. So whoever it is, man or woman, do you understand the accuracy, the level of accuracy? If you're trying to hit David and you throw that and that hits him in the fucking wedge of his eye, his left eye, that's insane. So whoever threw it, listen, David was fine. Obviously, it says he escaped serious injury. But big ups to whoever threw that, man. You got fucking incredible aim. The album we have this week is a deep, deep 
record. Let's do a little bit about it because I want to make sure I cover everything because people love Bruce Springsteen. I love Bruce Springsteen. But to be honest with you, this is one of the first times I've listened to a record other than Born to Run and Born in the USA. So let's do a little bit about it. This 1987 solo record came a few years after Bruce and the E Street Band put out the gargantuan career-high mega platinum Born in the USA. And that alone would make any follow-up record likely feel less significant. That it was a very personal exploration of where his life was at that point, especially his domestic situation, would ultimately very much humanize the mythical Born in the USA larger-than-life video icon that Bruce had become for the last few years. This is actually pretty interesting right here. As his former E Street Band guitarist Stevie Van Zandt bluntly said after Bruce played it for him before it came out, what the fuck is this? And Bruce replied, this is what Bruce said, it's the truth, it's just who I am, it's my life. And then little Stevie said, this is bullshit, people don't need you talking about your life, nobody gives a shit about your life, they need you for their lives. That's your thing giving some logic and reason and sympathy and passion to this cold, fragmented, confusing world. That's your gift. That's some bold shit for little Stevie to say. But there you have it. It's all summed up right there, man. The everyman, champion of the people, hero of the working class, just wanted to express where he was at. And while on the surface... This seemed like it was going to be tales of the domestic bliss that Bruce was living in with his then-wife, actress Julianne Phillips. What it ended up sounding like were the painful ruminations on the disintegration of love. This became clear a year later when Julianne filed for divorce. You get that from this record, guys. You 100% get that. And you know who else gets it? My guest. The one. The only. Jay Moore. You guys know him from his stint being on Saturday Night Live and hosting Last Comic Standing, his role in Jerry Maguire, Are We There Yet, and the TV series Ghost Whisperer, his former sports radio talk show, Jay Moore Sports, and his current podcast, which is incredible, More Stories. Jay is a huge Bruce fan, so to be able to get him to sit down, and we talked, man. This is one of my favorite conversations, so I think you guys are going to really love it. Don't forget to listen to the end of the podcast where we spotlight a new artist that was directly influenced by Bruce Springsteen. Also, rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500. Follow me, at Josh Adam Myers, on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, y'all know what time it is. Here we go! With number 467 out of 500 with Tunnel of Love by Bruce Springsteen. Is it J.J. or just a J? J.J. 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 I'm blown out, man. That was Thank great. You. <laughs> you like stunned me. You, you crushed it. You've given me the best reaction that anybody has from singing them in. <laughs> he stood up and just threw his arms up. All right. So, so tell me about your fascination. I mean, is it a fascination? Just your love for Bruce Springsteen. Like, when did that start? 
Well, yeah, it's a fascination. I mean, that's if somebody's that good, whether it's the Stones, Beatles, Bruce, you know, we were talking about Miles Davis off mic and McCoy Tyner and all these people. Like, yeah, it's, a, it's absolutely a fascination. Like everything in my life, I'm an addict. It's it's an it's a consumption. Yeah, just an absolute house on fire all the time. So I was in high school when I listened to. Uh, I actually owned the cassette of Greetings from Asbury Park. And I remember just, you know, going cover to cover, cover to cover, cover to cover. And like the kids call him Jimmy the Saint, Lost in the Flood. And, you know, I don't want to talk, I don't want to speak on albums that aren't here. Those are in like, th those are in like three to five years, some of his other ones. This is his lowest record. I don't want to, as Colin might say, I don't want to speak on albums that aren't here to defend themselves, but, you know, maybe a bit of a rhyming dictionary. All right. What's, what's the song for that, you know? Madman, Drummers, Bummers, Summers. All right. <laughs> Inauthentic, that's all. Colin, bring J.J. back. I so, want JJ. <laughs> yeah, so the Bruce, the inoculation with, like, the phonograph needle was constant because it's always on the radio. Like, the songs are always on the radio. Yeah. Because they should be, because they can be consumed by everybody. But it's interesting how many people just loathe Bruce outright. They don't like him. Oh, yeah. There's an inherent and automatic, ugh, like with you 2 and with Bruce. Yeah. No, I, I believe that. You're, I, Dylan, I just, like, I'm one of the Dylan people where I go, no. I, no. I don't like Dylan either. I like the Lanois-produced stuff, like Oh Mercy, I love in 88. I love Time Out of Mind. And the rest of the stuff, I'm like, this guy sucks. Yeah. I and I'm, I know I'm in the minority. So save your don't save your tweets. I want you to tweet a lot. Yeah, tweet at him. But, I, but also, but here's the thing. is the same thing with, uh, which, see, I knew Bruce ahead of time. I knew the hits. I've seen him in concert, but I've never dug the full albums. I know a few hits by, by Bob Dylan, but I've never actually sat there and listened to one of his full records. So To me, Bruce is what people always told me Dylan was. Like, the way people sold me on Dylan's lyrics, the meaning of lyrics, that's... That's what Bruce is to me. Like Hurricane Carter by Dylan is really linear and straightforward to me. Whereas like uh, Jungle Land by Bruce or like Tunnel of Love or Brilliant Disguise is so layered. It's like Lombard Street. There's just emotions going every fucking which way. It's yeah. crazy. It really like hits my heart. Like it really the shit affects me. Like I get like choked up when I listen to some of the stuff. Because I'm a fucking gay guy, <laughs> but you're but you're a gay guy from Jersey though. Well, yeah, right? we, we, that's where all the gays come. So, from. so is he is he the patron saint of New Jersey? And do you feel I mean, like yeah. that's why the connection's there? No, well? that's not the connection at all. But the connection has to be when you're a kid. There has to be a visceral antenna that's hit viscerally when you're in a car and you hear "Born to Run" or something. You know, it, nobody goes, "Hey, this guy's from like you know." We'd all be holding Danny DeVito uh, scripts. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he's yeah. Danny DeVito and Nicholson. These people are Meryl Streep. Like, who's more talented than her? Nobody. So I just think, like, Sinatra. It's, I, I don't like anybody because they're from where I'm from. Because they didn't do anything. It's like George Carlin. Like, how can you be proud to be, you know, American? Like, you were just born here. Yeah. Like, I'm proud to be, like, all right, your parents fucked. But there is, like, a thing about Bruce that the people that kicks in, in Jersey, yes. that also, it's, like, not just his lyrics and the depth of what he's saying and, and how he speaks for, like, the working man, you know, but at the same time, it's, like, there is this thing that he loves where he's from and he's talking about a lot of those places. Well, that's, yes, absolutely. I was going to say, that kicks in, like, 
in act two of your love for Bruce. If you, if you're from New Jersey, you're like, oh, I know the street he's talking about. Yeah. I know that club. I know that little club he he's referring to. I know which lake he's probably. And you start speculating like where it could be. So there's a in, there's a huge romanticism because Bruce's whole the canon, all of it is the same theme from the first song he recorded to the last song he'll record before he dies. Is there's something better than what I have right now? It's just out of reach. If you stick with me, I swear to God, we're gonna hit it. We're gonna hit it big. With the exception of Nebraska, there's really no... Even Nebraska is pretty much that, but it's with serial killers. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's like, every song that he does, if you just really sit there and read the lyrics and just like put headphones on, I mean, it's there's so much depth to everything he's doing. It's, it's Brilliant Disguises, it's insane. Brilliant Disguises, like my marriage. In, a, yeah. in one song, it's my marriage. And the last lyric, God have mercy on the man who doubts what he's sure of. Yeah, you texted that to me, too. Because when you're going through it, you, you just say to yourself, like, this is impossible. This isn't real. This can't be happening. This is, we can salvage this, like, God have mercy on the man who doubts what he's sure of. You're, yeah. you're delaying an, inev an inevitable a certainty. You know, it, it's insane. So when you ask me about Tunnel of Love, it's such an outlier album to me because... It doesn't have the E Street Band, and you can hear the difference, so particularly in the drums. For me, there's there's a couple musicians like where I just don't like their drummer, and I I, mo I might ruin some music for people right here. Hit me. I could ruin Aerosmith for you real quick. Who's the drummer again? I can't think of his name. In Aerosmith, who yeah. knows? Joey Kramer. <laughs> Joey Joey Kramer. Yeah. If you're a drummer and they name cymbals after you, there's a problem. <laughs> That's actually pretty good. I can write that down. down. All right, well, let's dive into this record. Our album is number 467 out of 500. It's the eighth album, Tunnel of Love, by Bruce Springsteen, released October 9th, 1987, produced by Bruce, John Landau, and Chuck Plotkin. The first time you heard this record, where were you at? What was going on in your life? Like, how did it sink in? The first thing I heard was the single, and I think the first time I heard the single was the actual music video on MTV. So I was in a living room, in Verona, New Jersey, um, wrestling. So I was probably starving. I looked like a whippet. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, was just sort of knocked on my ass because the music video, if you're going to go linearly in order by track, then I'll, I'll just pocket. And this is with, for Tunnel of Love? Was, the single t was Tunnel of Love. Yeah. On Tunnel of Love. And that was the first thing you heard because it wasn't like now where You'd hear it on a mixtape, you'd hear it on a radio, you'd hear it on Sirius XM, or somebody would give it to you. Yeah. It was on MTV, the video was going to come out for it, and it would, it would come out, you know, congruent of when the album came out. So I first heard Tunnel of Love watching the video Tunnel of Love. I remember just thinking, it's perfect. He nailed it. He nailed how I feel when I go to Seaside Heights, New Jersey, and go to the boardwalk and go on the rides. There's that weird, like, ambient crowd noise, but it's kind of like a synthy manufactured crowd noise it's a very synth heavy album he's doing a lot of this on his own like you said this is the first time he he didn't work with the east street band some of them sat in you know what i mean and did a couple songs but this is him playing every instrument so this is him in his in his house the studio in his house and and basically with a drum machine and all the instruments and just layering it it's it's in a very electronic album for him in a way Basically, this is his breakup record. This is his blood on the tracks. This is his fucking sea change. I mean, this is him laying his head out. And listen, not every track hit with me, 
but man, did I feel the ones that I felt. And was that the same reaction you got when you first heard this? No, the opposite. I, I was really let down. Really? Yeah. I, I loved Brilliant Disguise and Tunnel of Love, and I still think they're the ones. And then the other ones had to sort of like earworm their way through, like tougher than the rest. And I worked at a restaurant as a server and um, like one step up and two steps back. Like if used you to play if, that a lot. If somebody covered it uh, and it didn't have that synth sound to it, I'd go, whoa. I'd be blown away by it. Like if just like Kings of Leon did it and just was a little grimy or like Chris Robinson from the Crows decided to just do it at the Apollo one night. I go, what the fuck? What's happening? Yeah. But it's just as a server and it's on like that mix, that shuffle, like the first people to use shuffle was like Bennigan's and like TGI Friday. The Applebee's mix. Right. And it was like, we'll start off with uh apple teeny and uh maybe a uh, blooming onion and two steps forward our house dressing tonight is a honey mustard peppercorn i'm just gonna put the check down it's at your convenience but i really like you to get out of here because i have to turn the tables over to make money because i'm the asshole that signed up for lunch so I've, i'm trying to fuck maggie i work her into the song check the maggie she wasn't working so so now you're saying it's resonated with you now and why are you getting such you know feelings from this well, with some tracks, I don't, I think 500 greatest albums, first of all, of all time. I mean, Bruce has got a bunch of albums on this list. My friend Pete Turner and I, he's a spy. Uh, he's been on the podcast and um, we, we've kind of run out of spy talk because there's some things you can't really talk about. Yeah. So we always do like if, if, Octo- if uh, Joshua Tree is the doorway to the Louvre, what albums are in it? And it was like we go down the rabbit hole, and we realize that Bruce has five perfect albums. The Who don't have any, because there's always that like Mama has a squeeze box song where you're like, "What the <laughs> fuck?" Aerosmith don't have any. Like Bowie doesn't have any. And I really? Bowie's the Bowie's God to me. Like Tom Rhodes and I were ranking the gods, and we had Buddha one. We had Bowie two. Independent of each other, we wrote Bowie two. Wow, it was insane. Wow. And then Christ, you know, whomever. Sure. So like. He has perfect, perfect albums. And what little Steven said is fascinating to me because, and what you just said, it is a sea change, but he's always had, when he's had a a really significant album, born in the USA or say like The River, he's always come with the sea change. Like that's when Nebraska came out was after The River because the record company wanted him to do Hungry Heart again and he hated the song. He tried to give it to the Ramones. He gave it to Patti Smith who recorded it. He was like, no, this would be great for you. Like, he was trying to talk the Ramones into doing Hungry Heart. And in hindsight, you're like, oh, my God, it would have been amazing. Like, the Ramones doing Hungry Heart? Yeah. One, two, three, four. <laughs> uh, so then Nebraska was his, like, fuck you. You know, here's here's the album I owe you. I'm out. So then after Born in the USA, they, they put the screws to him, and he comes back with this, like, really sad, I'm devastated, I'm heartbroken album and it's the first i don't know if it's the first but what's significant to me about it is there's something just out of reach we can get it we can get it this album the narrative is more i missed it i just i've missed it i that thing that i'm trying to get through that's just out of reach i'm realizing it's actually out of reach behind me like that guy in the bar and like tougher than the rest he missed it and he's just bringing reality to the girls that he's meeting if you're rough enough for love i'm tougher than the rest like Hey, maybe you do this too. I don't know. Like, but I'm tougher than the rest because he's been through that shit and he missed it. Like tunnel of love. Like there's so much that can happen. 
It's a ride, man. It's a ride. It's a ride. Down, but the, but the, it's in hindsight. Because it always comes to an end, dude. The ride always ends. But when he's at the end of the ride, he's singing about the... Actually, that's the only song that's in the, in the now. Pretty much in the whole album. Like, it's there's a, there's a fat man sitting on a little stool. Like, it's ha- like, like the song is happening as the action is happening. Yeah. And everything else. But for me, it, it was significant because I remember thinking... The narrative is I've I've sort of the unspoken narrative is sort of I missed it, and the the first person is defeated and concedes to the defeat, and instead of saying I'm not defeated, this life will kick the shit out of you like all the other albums, but I'm still gonna win. I always felt like this album, I have lost, and there's a piece to that. There's a sadness that's a part of who I am that I'll die with. And that's what makes me sort of not all the way. That's why it's a standing eight count, not like a knockout. Yeah. That's how I always felt about it. I mean, it's that's a perfect way to sum it up. All right, Take well, your thoughts off the air. Let's, it's uh, Ray Abkitt and Crawl Space coming at you. <laughs> Z Morning. Eighth caller all gets right, cheese. guys. We're giving away Creed tickets today. All right. Let's dive into the record. It starts off with Ain't Got You, which is, I think it's a little bit of a misdirection because you're expecting it's going to be like this the rest of the record because this is like... Very simple and catchy. You've got it's the rockabilly. It's rockabilly, Bo Diddley sounding guitar, the harmonica and the wood tapping, and that is it. Peter, play minute one, second fifteen. Just resist, I made a deal with the devil, babe. I won't deny until I got you in my arms. I can't be This is the only song on the album that is this sonically minimal. And it's just Bruce talking about how he has everything. Diamonds, art, bonds, homes, and everything, but he doesn't have you. Do you have any thoughts on this? I love it. It's a perfect song. I sent it to my dad via email after you and I. Via email. I I speak in essay form now. (laughs) I just came here from New Delhi, India. I sent it to my father via email. Via email, see attached. I sent it to my dad because my dad does not like Bruce at all, but he loves like this rockabilly, big bopper, this Buddy Holly stuff. He couldn't open the file and his email back. He couldn't open the file and his email back. Yeah, do not know how to open the listen, email. Listen, listen, listen. Linda, Linda, listen. The Indian, the little Mexican kid I've turned into an Indian on the viral meme. Linda, Linda, listen, listen, Linda, Linda. He said, I, I can't open the file, but you know I don't like Bruce. <laughs> I'm like, I know you don't, but this song is the one you'll like. I love it because, like you said, it, it's just absolutely minimal. It, it is Bo Diddley. It's it, 100% it, Bo Diddley. And the lyrically, you can make out every word, you know, and that's tough with a lot of Bruce things. You, well, not, not for you and me, obviously. But, no, but you're 100% dude. Until I read some of these lyrics, I was like, oh, that's what he's saying. I mean, it's, he's, he's a very mumbly singer, but that's what makes him special. Is that he's he's singing with heart and emotion, so it's like if the word doesn't come out right, it doesn't make a fucking difference. You're never disappointed with Bruce lyrics as you look him up. No. And the fact that you haven't sat through Born to Run yet, it, it like frightens me. But I have sang Born to Run at one of the goddamn comedy jams. In that moment of the then he hits you with that. One, two, three, the how I mean that is for the Perfect. listener, for the listener, Josh just truncated that by like a minute. Yeah. That's a long bridge at the end of a song. He is the king of bridges because everything in this album, his bridges are so fucking good in this album. That is a hold on. 
That is a high frequency observation, brother, because I didn't catch it. Every like break, even like because it ain't got you, it goes to well, there's a lot of money and a that's the bridge in every dude in tougher than the rest, the fucking this brilliant disguise. In every song he has these incredible bridges and he doesn't disappoint with Ain't Got You. But this is about possessions. What are some of your prized possessions? Wow. I would say uh uh, you know, after two divorces, you know, I say this on stage, so I don't want, I hate when people like, hit do, me, dude, it's try. fine. I know, I just got to quantify it because I hate when you realize, like, this guy's doing a fucking thing. Motherfucker's doing his second special. <laughs> I, like, if the audience moaned something, I go, let me tell you guys something. I've been divorced twice. I've gotten sober twice. I've given the IRS $600,000 twice. I'm all out of fucks. Just <laughs> void, empty, vacant of a single fuck. I don't have, you can dig around, but the moans are all yours. Yeah. I don't share it with you. So I, as far as prized possessions, I don't know. My uh, Mongoose BMX bike that I drive around Playa del Rey with is probably my prized possession. You love it more than anything. And just like when we were kids, I leave it on my lawn and I hope it's there when I wake up. Oh, I love that. Is it there? It's got to well, be. I, I People know. Ex- People are like, you don't, don't take JJ's I don't have a lawn. Mongoose. Well, which of any of these things, I mean, would you ever be willing to give up for love? Oh, I'm, all of it. I mean, I fall in love every day. Like I just, you're you're you 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 just put your heart in immediately. That's all we know, man. Like, like, don't put it on me. That's us. We drink from the well that's beneath the well that people don't. They're not brave enough to dig through it and get to it. Like, I wish I I listen. I used to be like that, but I'm not like that anymore. Not not because I don't want to be, um, but I used to fall in love at the drop of a hat, man. And I I think just, you do still. I think it's your. I I know very little about you except your stand up, mm-hmm. but. As an intuitive life coach, it's. I think you're just. You occupy your time with so much content and productivity that you're not out and about in an area where you're you're able to process the the volume of opportunities, and that volume of opportunity went really, really, really narrow. Mm-hmm. But it's it's hard when you're editing 500 album podcast to like you know just go hey let's go back to my place and fucking fool around or let's just let's just walk around and i don't have to kiss you at all because if it's just i just like being around you lady yeah um yeah because it's 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 this is this is your work is the walls of the castle that's your moat yep i mean it's but it's this does take a lot of time but which is a great moat to have by the way this is the my moat is just more (laughs) more (laughs) but this more but this this is one of the best jobs but for What's people? your prize possession? My dog. Oh, I don't know if dog. I don't know if Luke, yeah. I got. Uh, I have three little dogs, like I said. But my Yorkie, who's twelve, Mabel. She's on my Instagram and stuff, and uh, she's she's just like she's the best. She's my Janie. She like just, at the end of. Uh, she just made me a better person. Yeah. She made me. She. I grew up when I got her two and a half years ago because it, it made me not not as selfish as I was. Maybe start thinking about other people and. And just, it was just, it was the best decision I ever made. Best snap decision in the world. <laughs> like a dog. She's, uh, she's amazing. But yeah, it, it's amazing the personalities we apply to the dogs. And people might think we're insane, but they are exactly that. Like my Yorkie, the hardest my son ever laughed. We're in his top bunk. He was, he's eight now. So he had to have been five. It was right before the, like, the divorce, before I walked out of a house with him. And... I'm, if he doesn't listen to me, he'll listen to the dog. So I'll be like, hey, you got to brush your teeth. And if he gets spaced out, I'll just go like, hey, boy. It's this little Yorkie. He's got like no teeth or tongue sticks out all the time. Oh, yeah. Hey, boy. He goes, what, Mabel? 
She goes, you got to brush your teeth. You know, you want to have black lips like me. Black <laughs> lip, no teeth. Okay. And just constant, like, shit talking. Like, at least dad. We're not dumb like dad. Nah. <laughs> the hardest my son ever laughed was when I just, we're in his top bunk. We're laying on our backs. The dog's on my chest. I go, hey, boy. He goes, what, Mabel? I don't talk. <laughs> there was a pause, another pause. And then he started, like, quiet. <laughs> and then it kept going and they started, I look over he's crying oh that's the best like my father's insane <laughs> this dog doesn't talk at all Mabel talks dude like no, talks. so Mabel's my prized possession and then the bike if I can get Mabel on the bike I'd have them as one unit get a fucking basket dude no I mean if she was like if it was one Are thing you, a Mabel bike a Mabel know? bike yeah. you can, we can like I'm saying you get a basket you put her up front then you take her everywhere now let's apply this to what the song is talking about for people expecting a record of love songs, this sort of sets the lyrical mood of dis domestic dissatisfaction. So when you're saying he ain't got you, he's talking about possession. Can you ever really possess someone? Yes. I'm a daddy dom, and there's moments of complete possession. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. It, it's a moment of just somebody. I'm only talking about sexually. Sure. There's a moment, I know that's not what you're referring to, but there is a moment we realize this person has come undone. Yeah. And they are a child. I said, they are a child <laughs> and they need their fucking daddy to straighten things out. There's a mess up here in the brain. Yeah. Uh, but are you a possessive person? No, I'm the opposite. So no, obviously you can't uh, possess a human being at all. That's, uh, that's absurd. Sure. Uh, you can try, good luck, but that's uh, that's like setting a building on fire just so everybody can get out of it. Um, no, you cannot. I'm not possessive. I'm the opposite. I'm um, like every woman I've ever been with. I wanted to have them have sex with somebody else and me, but not not like cuckold where like they talk shit to the person like yeah. you're a little dick, you little bitch. Like uh, -uh. like it's it, and it's not like she's so slutty. It's more like worship and idolatry. Like yeah, she should have like a whole bunch of cocks if she wants a whole bunch. Sure. Of but every girl I've ever been with, including two wives, are like, I only want to be with you. I'm like, I know. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I've been in relationships where women have tried to possess me. It's like they, they're, they, the idea that, that like, they want to come with me everywhere I go. They want to spend all their time with me. I've had two girls, like, I've moved in with them, like, like that at the drop of a hat. And it's like, and it was only, I remember the first time it happened, I go, I'm going to take my time before I'm moving with somebody again. And then immediately the next relationship I'd move back in with. Now, at least I know I'm looking for a girl that is that is career focused. But and so she can have her life and she has to have friends more than anything. I need her to have a huge group of friends that she likes hanging out with. So we can, in a sense, possess each other when we're together, but like have our separate lives. And I think that you know, is, is one of the big, what do you think that is? Why? So many people, I feel, I know guys get possessive, but they get stalkery. Women seem to get more possessive, more frequently, more easily. Like it's a lower frequency possession of like when I date, I am not a 24 seven human. So I can't be a 24 seven in a relationship because I'm not 24 seven with me. Like, I'm in a couple programs that end with A, and neither one of them yeah. have to do with food, okay? Yeah. So when I'm on a date, it's like, say, like, date four, and the girl at a table like this is sitting there with me, and she goes, I just wish I saw more of you. I just go, this is over. It's over. Yeah. You're seeing, because you are seeing more of me. 
I don't. This is what I can give you. I don't this hang is, out with my friends. My yeah. best fucking friends. And you know why they're my best fucking friends? Because there's an unspoken. We've never brought it up. Like we don't see each other. We're comics. We just don't see each other for a year, maybe. And then you see each other. It's just like you came in from the other room. Yeah. And it's that transient life that we have. And I don't. I don't go out with my friends. I don't go out to eat. I don't go to restaurants. I don't know. I have no idea the last movie I saw. It's been at least a decade since I went to a movie theater. I have a, I'm a fucking single dad with primary custody of a guy who's my life. You do see more of me. And that's how you're choosing to spend this time complaining. Exactly. But like yeah. the dates on a Monday and you can't see them because you can't see them Wednesday when they originally asked. And then on the Monday date, they're going, I just wish I could see you Wednesday though too. It's like, well then you're not seeing me right now. Yeah. But I'm also like maddening. I'm an accelerant. I make them insane. I mean, that's, that's, you know what relationships are it just we bring out the best and the worst of people so if you know but that's the thing they should know going into it that you're this kind of person do you let them know up front yeah i have a poetry book coming out uh well it's just been handed in so it's not like coming out like yeah. so you know hit my website drop it <laughs> it just drops amazon yo but if a poetry book had a single it's i'm an accelerant and it, i just my neighbor said to me once i was explaining to him like a couple like what the fuck with a different chicks and he just goes oh so you're an accelerant I went, yes. Like, I will disappoint you. I can't help it. Like, go to the whip. Do what you got to do. Like, so I, I'm definitely that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not sure how we... I, uh, I'm i like Lombard Street. Like, I'm going to keep bending it around. So we better keep to these tracks. It's pretty, <laughs> so I ain't got you. I like to imagine that this is... Because it's the breakup record, this album speaks to me more deeply than I thought than I thought possible prior to my divorce because that like I I went to a You've mental hospital it. twice really in the last two years yeah to ask for a bed I was visiting somebody else both times it was a Friday just by the grace of God and the universe and you know the the Dow it was just both times it was a Friday both times I was at the Melrose Improv on the Saturday and both times there was a and so as I said, excuse me, I went, oh, I can't do this to Rita. They're sold out. I can't cancel like the night before. Yeah. And then both times on Sunday, there was a weird 7.30 a.m. wrestling practice. And I just, I roll every day with these. And I just, that, those were the paddles I clear. Yeah. I went, oh, if I do this all the time, I maybe I'll avoid A, if I just do B and C constantly. So, so if I think of this song, Ain't Got You, of the person being right next to him, like on a couch, it's way more powerful for me, and it has to be that way. If that's if it's true to the rest of this album, it's not somebody he can't have. It's somebody he does have, but he can't fucking have because they're not there. Because in my marriage, it was like she was like a watercolor that just kept fading and fading. And you're like, you know, we should move this out of the sun. It's fading. Like, what are you talking about? It's fine. Yeah. And you just get gaslit. Like, no, it's not. Like, you're not here. So that's that's why this song like knocks me on my ass too. Because I have to get through the rockabilly to the root of the root and that's she has to be right next to him they have to like make love and no, I, I think you're i agree with you on that and then it goes into which is my favorite song on the record tougher than the rest uh all i wrote was i texted you track two makes me sick and i was like it sucks what the fuck dude I, my my itunes was on shuffle for some reason i yeah. did shuffle and he, <laughs> And another song. What was the one that I hated? Uh, you, Walk Like a Man. You, oh, God. And it's got great I lyrics. I don't like that either, yeah. It should be in like a Sean Young movie. It's, it's like, just, ugh, cheese ball. But this isn't. And you're like, 
tougher than the rest. I'm like, no, 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 because I don't want to lose your respect. Like yeah, I'm yeah, a, yeah. the validation <laughs> addict. I mean, I'm like, no, no, no. I, I swear. Shuffle, shuffle. But this is great. Here, Peter, play the opening verse to this. Well, it's Saturday night. You're all dressed up in blue. I've been watching you a while. Maybe you've been watching me too. So somebody ran out. Left somebody's heart in a well, if you're looking for love, only I'm tougher than the rest. I love everything about this song. Like I said earlier, it made me tear up. It's just a powerful song about two people that have been through the muck in love. And it, the bridge basically sums it up perfectly with Springsteen's imagery. The road is dark and it's a thin, thin line, but I want you to know I'll walk it for you anytime. Maybe your other boyfriends couldn't pass the test. If you're rough and ready for love, honey, I'm tougher than the rest. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Paul Phelps. And this is Monica Strutt. And we're from the Daily Music Business Podcast. We're joined by a number of other really great hosts in creating daily content with great advice for independent musicians just like you. That's right. We put out episodes daily on all topics from music marketing to branding, advice on signing with a manager and label and anything else you need to up-level the business side of your music career. We've got it covered. Subscribe to the Daily Music Business Podcast today on your favorite podcast catcher. Subscribe today to the Daily Music Business Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. So powerful. You know what the song reminds me of? A little bit of like Streets of Philadelphia kind of has that same like producer. same same producer, same structure, same everything. And minimalist and very. Because he did that on a four track, Philadelphia. Did he really? Yeah, it's vocals. It's the synth. Mm, it's and the, the drum, drum machine. And then it's the back vocals. Hi, bye, bye, bye. That's it. And it wasn't finished. And when he handed it in, it was a temp. And they kicked him out of when they were loop. They were looping at Sony. And they're like, uh, get out. <laughs> Why? Because they loved it so much already? It's, it's what it it's is. Perfect. It's, when, it's perfect. Well, you know what's funny about this? Originally, this song was written as a rockabilly song. The final version has a slower, more methodical oh, rhythm. Could you imagine if this would have been sped up and like rockabilly? I just, I could not. It's like it's the, Saturday all the- night, you're old, because <laughs> I've been blue. I've been watching you, I've been watching me too. Actually, now I can. With that fucking bizarre... I mean, you did a great job at it. I'm sure. But, but my, still, it's... fake voice I just pulled out. So this is a true love song. It's real, no bullshit, no fluff, no empty words or meanings within it. Are you the type of guy that would compete for a woman's affection or would you just give up and pick somebody else? That's a great question. And my answer is not a dodge at all. No, but... The way no, the way I would, sh- again, I'm not being cute. 
You are adorable, no, absolutely. What? Yeah, I said you are adorable, though. That's okay. right. Yeah, fuck yeah, dude. I'm a rap guy. I'm not a Max guy. <laughs> yeah, you know, I like the raps. I can tell, dude. I know. You want to know what my fighting weight is? <laughs> Get a scale. <laughs> it rolls up. Let's go, bro. Let's do it. You want to thug, man? Let's thug. All right, back to the question. What do you got? No, that's so part you- of the answer. Okay. I know I would never compete, but there's a perverse and subversive uh, thing in me that by not competing, that is the that is my that's my play. So it's like it's just you do the opposite. You just if everybody guy's doing that, go with that guy. Yeah, I'm not gonna like send you flowers. Like a, I'm gonna send you a card in the mail, regardless, because that's what I do. I try. I have stamps on me at all times. I do. (laughs) I have cards in this bag. That's probably my prized possession is my, my wrestling card bag. Yeah. yeah, I got wrestling shoes in there. I got like I jump. I got everything I need right there. That's my bug out bag. I Fuck got, yeah, dude. I got medication, my service revolver. <laughs> Forget it, bro. 50-yard line, Santa Monica high end of days. That's where I'm eating. So I, I, I'm i going to do what I do. I'm going to text you like if a poem comes to mind. It's like I wrote this in traffic. It's a meter of seven, and it just happens to do with the princess, you know, being whatever. with a, I'm going to text you what I would normally text you, and that that's – I'm just going to be vigilant and relentless with what I do because I think you're hot and I think you're beautiful and I think you're kind and I see you and I know what I wouldn't say is I know it. I wouldn't say anything where I put it versus like I'm I'm this and he's not that. I wouldn't address that person because at the end of the day, like I don't get jealous. I'm the opposite of possessive. It's just like do your thing. Great. I'll be here. If you circle back, I'll be around. So no, I, I wouldn't. No. <laughs> no, but but there it's, a, it's, a it's every every, every answer though definitely you know it, it can be yes or no but it's like the explanation was perfect but then let me ask you this how long does it take you then to become vulnerable with someone I'm never not down? vulnerable with somebody so gonna, you're right off the jump you're just you're just an open heart I mean you're you're you, Josh I'm an I'm an addict I'm a drug yeah. addict I'm an alcoholic I'm a fucking rec- I'm a maniac I, I I'm I am I'm an accelerant I'm crazy. But I know now the kind of crazy. Like I'm not buying somebody else's narrative of like the kind of crazy I am. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I fall in love off the jump. Like I, I've been with. If I'm with a girl, and we like make out and just like that's it, and that I tell every girl I'm ever with, if this is all that ever happens, great. I'm 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 totally sated, and I've learned that makes them crazy, not in a good way. Like yeah, like what do you mean? Like, if I just kiss your cheek, shake your hand, kiss your cheek, give you a hug goodbye at the end of this date, if that's all that happens, great. Like, I just like being around you. Because I do just like being around them. I like being around people that I like being around until I like being completely in solitude. Because I go under the porch really well, too. And I'm realizing, like, more and more, like, why these songs hit me in my fucking gut so hard. Because it's just these lonely fucking records. And I'm God's lonely man. It's like, um, I'm quoting Taxi Driver. I wasn't, you know. No, you're good. <laughs> Um, yeah, off the jump, of course. Like when I'm with somebody, I'm, I've, I just take, that's the container that I fill. I don't know how else to, if I could help it, I would. I don't know how to, I don't know how to love slowly. I don't know how to kiss quietly. I don't know how to, I don't know any other way. I don't, I can't. And that's something I don't want to contain. Like when you put a marker down on a piece of paper and you hold it down, the circle gets wider and wider and wider and wider and wider. Like that's just, that's me. That pinpoint, that's for stand up. That's where I can go dot bleed, dot bleed, dot bleed. They're waiting for it to bleed. Like that's where I control time. Yeah. But when I'm with somebody, man, it's just boom, boom. I put in the ocean into a trash can. That's what I tell the wrestlers. Like 
you're never going to beat me because I'm just going to put the ocean inside of a trash can. Yeah. And they don't know what it means until you know 20 seconds in. They're like, <laughs> they're like they don't know that's all I have. Get me I'm, out of the trash can. Because I'm fucking 50. <laughs> I'm like, they don't know if they could just ride that 20 seconds out. They're going to kick the shit out of me. Yeah. But God, I love and it. Just like women. Like, if you just, if you ride out that overwhelming, like, they get spooked. And I think that's, you've had the exact same experience. Like, 100%. you're, you're present. Like, you are present. So don't doubt that ever. Like, you are here now. And for the listeners that are like, what are they talking about? Just, we know what we're talking about. Yeah. And when you're across from somebody and you're actually right there across from somebody, it's, it scares the shit out of people. When you're entirely there and you're not looking for exits and you're not sabotaging, self-sabotaging, if you're not like putting like, you know, spikes in the road and shit, then they start doing it because they're not used to just having somebody's undivided attention going, that's really interesting. This really interests me. What you do for a living really interests me. So when you go to work, how, what's it set up like? Like the questions you and I ask, after a while, they, they just they realize they're in some deep ass water and that's all we know. So it's, yeah, I've, I, I'm only in it to fall in love. I saw, I was in Hawaii once in Kauai. I went to a tattoo parlor. I didn't get the tattoo, but the tattoo artist had a tattoo on his chest. I'll never forget. It was a guy holding like a, like how a koala bear holds like a, a like a, a, a vertical branch, a, a trunk of a tree. Yeah. It was around a bomb, his arms and legs like holding a bomb as a bomb was falling, and the thought bubble was, here I go again. Wow. And there's a giant like bomb just going straight down like with like, the guy goes, here I go again. I'm like, that's me. Oh, that's, that's me 100%. How about I'm the only person on earth that could take fuck a Bruce Springsteen album and make it about me? <laughs> all right. It's, James was very magnanimous with his self-centeredness. All right. All right. All that heaven will allow. Peter, play 42 seconds into this. Say hey there, Mr. Bowser. All I want to do is dance. But I swear I left my wallet back home in my working time. Cold swim slip me in I'll make it a piece of heart. I can't be What I love about it is I love when he's talking about, like, you know, he's talking to the bouncer about how he left his wallet. It's like, that's really cool. He paints this picture perfectly, and and it's a great song. The song captures that blissful, carefree feeling of being in love. No matter what happens, he believes everything is going to be okay, despite any trouble coming their way. Or does he? That's the whole thing. Well, there's there's that Catholic, you know, there's that Catholic guilt that he's got. You know, because there's that phrase in Catholicism, all that heaven will allow. Like basically saying like she's pretty spectacular, but there are restrictions on her perfection. Or maybe it's about when lust meets guilt and has to pretend it has a higher noble intention. The last verse. um, Now some may die young, man, young and gloriously. Get it straight now, mister, buddy. That ain't me. That's the, those are the two sentences where I go, oh, this is all like his, his like, his edifice, his facade. Yeah. Like, hey, everything's great. Like, just, if you got somebody that loves you, all that heaven will allow. What am I going in the club for? For all that heaven will allow. No, I love this song because it's, it, he's, he's, he's full of shit and he knows he's full of shit. Like, hey, like what you said about the bouncer, that's what I got too. That's what I cherry picked from it too because it's, he's naming people like he does so well, like Hazy Jane, 
the magic man, Spanish John. And when he says, hey there, Mr. Bouncer, hey there, Mr. Bouncer, now all I want to do is dance, but it's where I left my wallet back home in my working pants I love. Yeah. Come on, Slim, slip me in, man. It's That's like, great. it's so not, if you're not that like audiophile cuckoo Bruce, like I am, I'm telling you like, that's not how he writes at all. Like, come on, Slim, slip me in. It's just too perfect a meter. Well, he's, it's Dr. I, Seuss I mean, almost. He's be- he becomes these people. It's almost like it's if, if he's like being John Malkovich into somebody else's body to tell this story. You yeah. Know? I think he's like something he's experienced, you know? It's, well, we all have. That's the thing. That's what makes him so unlike anybody before or after is he writes. He is the boss. And Bono said when he inducted him into the Hall of Fame, calls himself the boss but that's not accurate because he works for us yeah because this guy is a billionaire this guy wrote born to run when before any of you listening were fucking born literally like 70 he wrote it in probably 75 76 and we're we're talking about something like i don't even understand like this this catalog the amount of shit he's written it's insane, but he, like, he, this is all of us. Like, I want to go into the club. I get there, I realize my wallet's in my other pants. So I'm going to talk to the bouncer. Like, all I want to do is dance. I have a date with all that heaven will allow. Like, that's, I'm, I'm going for fucking everything because I got, like, fuck it. I got nothing to lose. Yeah, you nailed it. Essentially, I could have just went word, word, <laughs> word but that, that was good though. True. How long are you usually with someone before you realize that they're just another flawed human on their own journey? That's the entrance for me. Now, when you know that they're flawed, that's when you're like, "Oh, this is separate from recovery." My personal seeking. We're all spiritually sick somehow. All of us. Were you raised religious? Not at all. Okay, and. It was kind of like this satellite. The church was like a mile down Fairview Avenue, and it was just, you know, we'd shoot hoops in there. It was it was an absolute religious, free life. But the spirituality, in hindsight, I realized was a living, breathing thing that we, you know, riding your bikes and just shooting hoops in the church, you know, and church would be left open at night. So we'd go in there and just, like, I'd play bells. And, like, I was in a choir. I'm like, I was in a, I remember, like, choir practice. Like, what the fuck? Like, what life was this? Mine. It was mine. But it wasn't at all about, like, you know, God and this and that. Like, it was just this nice, quiet, idyllic, suburban Jersey thing. So I know going in, they're flawed. I know going in, I'm flawed. Like, I'm, I'm like glass that you can barely see through. Like, window, like. Yeah. But that's what I open with. That's what I lead with. I'm very honest about it. Yeah. And then it's just sort of like that jack in the box, like seeing how long I can ride this person before, you know, Bruce Smirnoff had a great joke. He goes, every girl I meet, that's when I meet him. I remember Wow. Holy shit. He does stand up now just on cruise ships. He's the best. But I'm like, that's one of the greatest jokes. You know those jokes you go, how did I not write that? Yeah. And that's that's so, I'm just trying to time the spring on them. And I sort of, when I meet them, you know, I'm jumping out of the box. Like, that's what they see first. Yeah. And that's what everybody sees first about me. I can't control it, but I know I can go from like, I'm able now to keep that from being like the scary fucking 
Jesus Christ. Jesus, that scared the shit out of me. Now it's like, just like it opens and you come out like, hey. Like just, I just want you to know I'm, kind of, I'm around the corner. I'm You're about to see this I'm, big, jumpy, scary, springy thing with yeah. a goofy smile on his face that's going to fucking share a lot of nonsense with you. And just you, you don't have to track it. It does all track. If you don't understand mm-hmm. what I'm talking about, don't even worry about it. I'll make sure you understand the things that you need to understand. Yeah. Like I just come in with like all these fucking like lesson plans and shit. <laughs> so no, I, I know they're flawed. I know I'm flawed and I just I think that's what makes it special. You know, when when like you said, I love how you said you're vulnerable right from the jump. And I think when you meet somebody that you can both share that we're both we both have made mistakes in life. It's just, it's it's literally tougher than the rest. It's like you've been through shit, I've been through shit. You know what I mean? But let's be honest about our shit. And not put on, you know, that, that, not to quote another song, but that brilliant disguise. Let's, let's just lay it out there. Brilliant disguise is like the, the tune to me. That's the tune. And, but tougher than the rest. And so all that heaven will allow, I love. It's so interesting to me. And I become a little fascinated by his lyrics sound tinny. One thing about Bruce is he's like, like that guttural growling. Yeah. And for some reason, the way he's singing this, he's way up in his nose. I got a dog in my pocket. Yeah. It sounds almost weak. And like it's all just going to fall apart and they're going to have to start to take over the whole song. Yeah. And I missed her. Let me in. So it's really, I think the producers sell him out often. And I think he's overcome producers that are known as gods. And like Born in the USA is the most heartbreaking album ever, but you would never know it by listening to it. Like, fuck yeah. Like, no, he's going to kill himself every track, you idiots. Wow. <laughs> like, you know, but so this, it gets too synthy and stuff, this album for me personally. But I know that Heaven Will Allow, allow I think it's a genius production because they chose the vocals where it's that thin. And one thing about Bruce, you could never describe it as thin ever. It's always... Out on the back street. Yeah, he's like singing down. from his uh, from his his pain, his it's fucking dick. Yeah, yeah, dude. And it's this one's like I got a dollar. It's almost yeah, like it's, a, it's an apology coming in. Yes, I know. I completely agree. Like with I that. can't get in. I know I'm not supposed to be in because there's a cover charge, but I do have money. It's just not here. It's in my working pants. And the and the only time his vocal kind of kicks back is oh that heaven will allow. Then he goes back into the when he says that it goes guttural. Yeah, and then it goes back up to Tinny when he's like, kind of, I know this shouldn't be happening, because it's it's a kind of a look back into like, uh, greetings from Asbury Park. It's a look back to, um, the, you know, Born to Run, uh, the Innocent, the Wild, the East Street Shovel, where it's like Kitty's back. Like who's Kitty? Yeah. Like who's Spanish John drove in from the underworld last night with bruised arms and broken rhythm, but dressed just like dynamite. You're like, who the fuck is Spanish John? <laughs> and Puerto Rican Jane came, came, Jane came out of the shower. She's like, out of the shadows. And you're like, who's she? So like now with the doorman, like, come on. I know he's just calling him Slim, like as yeah. a nickname. Let me in. I'll take care of you later somehow. And I'm like thinking like his working pants. Like, how is he dressed? I can, I can. I can smell his like aftershave. Oh, it's it's a hundred. I know a little bit of like shaving cream in the corner of his yeah, ears. Yeah, dude. Yeah. It's like, come on, man. It's not a place where like they're too snooty at all. Yeah. So it's something probably where it's like, if he lived there six months <laughs> longer, they would have seen him a block away and went, bro, come on in, bro. You're good. Yeah. But then they got to put up the front like, I don't know, no goddamn Harold. <laughs> Harold sent me. So yeah, I love this tune. I do too. All right. Spare parts. Peter, play the opening.
one i would call like the rock and roll song of it this is probably the heaviest song on it but i mean if you listen to the first three songs of this album you might think that it's just another 80s sounding old-fashioned throwback record no i know it's true that's true but then spare parts comes in and it's a lyrical gut punch from the first line dude he i mean this is this line is insane bobby said he'd pull out Bobby stayed in. Janie had a baby. It wasn't any sin. They were set to marry on a summer day. Bobby got scared and ran away. I mean, he is giving you this character-driven story that you that you only are going to get from Bruce Springsteen. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I was just saying, like, like who's Bobby? Who's... I think you should just read the entire song because it's, it is exactly Bruce. Yeah. No, I agree. Jane moved in with her ma out on Shawnee Lake. She sighed, ma, sometimes my whole life feels like one big mistake. She settled in a back room. Time passed on. Later that winter, a son came along. Fucking. This is, though, this is the first song. It's insanely great. It's insanely great, but this is the first song that he's now writing from a female perspective. Spare parts and broken hearts keep the world turning around. That doesn't sound like, it sounds like it could be anybody, really. Yeah. Like, it could be better, like, spare parts, all right. Oh, completely. Broken hearts, keep the world turned around. Oh. But in context of this song, and it's truthfulness, like, what have we been talking about? Spare parts and broken hearts, that's, we're still here. I love it. Well, this whole story is about this this woman, Janie, and how she got fucked over by this guy, Bobby, because Bobby wasn't man enough to, to stay with her when she had the kid. He's not, he's basically talking about fragile male egos. So, speaking of female perspectives, though, uh, you recorded a Showtime special and Grammy-nominated album that was written by your then second wife, and you also legally added your last name, her last, her last name, I took to it like your middle name, name. yeah, yeah. John Ferguson Coxmore. So, in a way, I can see a reverse gender comparison of you getting knocked up, being given the matrial, having a birth, the baby, and having to take responsibility for it except that you actually got to take her name in marriage i actually have primary custody of a baby yeah i mean so i actually walk the kid across the floors every night like it says in the song yeah like i am i didn't think i was gonna have an apartment at 48 at a four million dollar house in the palisades shit was it was up and running yeah you know and it's, it wasn't nobody gets married to get divorced like that's the crazy i got a 16 year old son i don't see like i got i am spare I am spare. Tom Berenger in Platoon. I am spare parts. So when you talk about the Catholicism that you're talking about, you know, the religious overtones, Nebraska, there's a reason to believe. Um, take the baby to the river. Kyle William, they named, they named him. And this one, there's another baptism in this song. So it, it it's really incongruent for the way this song sounds. And the way that guitar, like, wham, and the harmonica, yeah. like, everything, like, is really, like, brash. And then, they're, they're, like, the the next two verses are about a baptism and, like, the mist over the water and, like, washing the baby's head in the water and cleansing away his sins. It's 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 a pretty fascinating song. No, but, but, but going back to the special, though, 
you trusted that her material oh, was going to be strong enough. Well, it was. I mean, it was just it was. But that's but 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 was it an ego check to be the interpreter rather than the creator? It could be, but you're also the creator when you're delivering the idea that the person wrote. Like you know, no no, I don't believe any comic on earth is capable, and this is a compliment to all comics of being handed something and not having tags for it. So when it's written by, yeah, there's only three bits in that special. The first one is similar hates. A couple has to have similar hates. That's before the dating app. Like I was, I predate that the yeah. dating app about what you both don't like. Uh, the second bit is about Dateline, about murder on television. And the third bit is about irony. And it's just like this double helix. So those three concepts were, um, brought to me by my ex-wife i had personal stories about when irony had like bit me in the ass that i could apply like my wife didn't write line for line about when we got so high we thought we were gonna fucking die and we went to the liberace museum like that's me filling in you know the um the the diorama like she hands me the box and it's like there's a little classroom inside the box but i'm the one that goes there could be a globe over here there's a coat room over there. I'll put some paper and some little chalky things up on the chalkboard. Yeah. So it, the ego check is needed, I think, for us to be where we need to be as comedians because you have, if you're going to be a comedian, you're going to wind up being an actor at some point. Even if it's just on stage talking and selling your own story and acting like something happened that didn't happen and letting the audience think it really fucking happened. And the stories that really did happen, they think it don't happen. It's, it's just a, a shell game. So the ego check is just accepting that somebody else wrote it and you're fine with people knowing that. But then I'm aware, it was, you know what? It was, it was powerful for me and it was empowering for me because it was one of the first things I did independent of external validation. So having it say written by Nikki Cox I didn't give a shit because I knew what I brought to the special. I knew how much of the special I wrote. This wasn't something that was handed to me, written word for word for word for word for word yeah. that I recited like a play. But those three ideas were brought to, brought up in the course of discussion discussions in the marriage because she's the most brilliant woman I've ever met in my life, hands down. One of the funniest. The only civilian I ever wanted to be as funny as. Wow. I mean, that's big. That's huge. So... It was a big one for me because it wasn't about external validation, which is why we do what we do. We just need that external validation. I had internal validation, so I was comfortable with saying, yes, yeah, she wrote this um, and not going. But I also, this is the first time I've ever actually said this out loud, but I, we wrote it, you know. Yeah. And it's, that's fine. It's great. So I, I see what you're saying, but. But, but how do you keep your ego in check then throughout just now? I mean, when was there a time that your ego was just out of control? Of course it was. I mean, I've lost... that's a very... that's You're giving up your ego to say, especially as a comic, to go, this is her material. I'm just making it my own. But so like, you know... Well, cause... I've done that before. Like, you're friends it's with Bert. Selfless. Like, I heard you on Bert's podcast. Like, Bert had a story about Tracy Morgan. And when he told the story, I said, we were at the Irvine Improv. At a, the, the end of this is going to be... I did somebody else's material. That's ego, you know, and getting comfortable, not because I was asked, I was asked to do it, but getting comfortable to the point where I'm doing it when they're not around, that's that's off the charts crazy ego. 
So Bert, we were at the Irvine Improv at the back booth, and Dan Godfrey was there. My wife was there. His wife at the time, Cindy, was there, and Bert was there. And he told that Tracy Morgan story. And I was like, you have to tell this story on stage. Like, what are you doing? Because Bert's the best storyteller I've ever known He's in my so life. Great, yeah. It's like Joey Diaz. I mean, that's that's the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> that's the Bill Russell. And now we can put together <laughs> yeah. the Mount Rushmore of the NBA and the music. And he goes, I can't do Tracy. And he literally, it was between the first and second show. And he goes, you do it. I swear to Jesus Christ that I'm a Christian. I was born a Buddhist, but I'm also a Christian. Yeah. That this is a factual, all this is fact. I'm way past fucking needing cover whatsoever I was, sure so i was like really he goes yeah so i did a second show it murdered i opened with it because he had to go the next night he goes do he had a friend with him he goes do the tracy story again i told him that you were doing all right so he was my opening act for years so it was just something i did in front of him but then when i wasn't working with bert i would still do it that's how you get out of paying for the check bert and the ego is at some point in that journey, that rocket that's going to disintegrate, I haven't spoke. He was one, one of, of my best absolute friends. best friends. Yeah. And when I hear him speaking about how his view of the relationship was, it makes me cry. Like if I'm on the road, I'm listening to him and Bobby Lee. Bobby's talking about Carlos and Bert's talking about me. I'm like, he's not wrong. If that's how he feels. He's not making this shit up. Bert's not the kind of guy that's going to go. I'm getting choked up now. Bert's not the kind of guy that's going to go. Um, like make up a false narrative. It's how he felt the way I behaved. And that's heartbreaking that I was that unaware. That's ego also. Yeah. So at some point I start going, that's how you get out of paying for the check, Bert. Cause I have my own Tracy Morgan stories cause he's my friend. So that's, I'm blinded by ego here. So instead of just telling my Tracy stories, I keep telling Bert's story when he's not around. And then at some point I go, that's how you get a paying for the check, Bert. That's how you get out of paying for the check, Bert. That's how you get out of paying for the check, Jay Moore's. And I like the way that feels. Jay Moss, now it happened to me. I convinced myself the audience, they need to think it happened to me. That's theft. That's betrayal. Yeah. And in my life, my honesty of admitting when I've done something like that has sort of been the primary ammunition against me. Like when I was on Saturday Night Live, I stole something I saw from Rick Shapiro because I was like, this will never get on the air. I just can't pitch. I'll get be fired if I don't pitch. And it just sails through Gee, all the way yeah. to air. And I'm like... Well, the odds of everybody knowing who that one guy is are pretty slim. Pretty slim, guess, yeah. Guess what? He knew who he was, and he saw that episode, and it was on. Yeah. And and Bert. So if you take one instance in 1992, and Bert talking about it on Rogan's podcast, which is millions and millions of rabid, fantastic fans, like they're just so committed. Oh, yeah. And if they can look at 1992 and say 2000, I'm guessing, six, they go... This motherfucker, this timeline is just all theft. You come see my stand-up, the idea of me stealing is preposterous. My son's name is Meredith. It's a very specific, very narrow beam of light I'm working with, you know? Yeah. So yeah, my ego has obliterated friendships. I've I've like the 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 prize, there is no prize anymore. Like if Bert showed up at my door and said, let's just be friends again. I'm never going to be 100% comfortable around Bert. I know. Because I know of because of my own hurt. Sure. Of like you didn't stand up for me and say I don't steal. You know, but, but why would he? I did. Yeah. But I can't have it both ways. I did it. And I I mean I I can't 
I cannot apologize anymore. But, because- but, but also too, and not to cut you off, but also you need to give yourself credit because it sounds like you, you've accepted what you've done and it's like your ego is completely gone. The fact that you can you know, release it like that. You have to forgive yourself. Oh, I have. And, and my ego is close to dead, but it can't ever be really dead in no. show business because, <laughs> but my ego is also why I apologize as an addict. I apologize. I'm a validation addict. And when I'm wrong and I apologize, I really dig it because I get validation for being that cool and apologize. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, hey, I shouldn't have done not, the bird thing. Is, I had, like, uh, you were the, thank anything you else, so like, much for apologizing. I'll be honest with you. Last time I was here, I, I, uh, I took $50 off your tab. I don't even know why I did it. I'm just making something up. Yeah. Like when they go like, I never would have noticed that. Thank you. I'm like, uh-huh. got it. <laughs> like that perverse, like fucking through the back entrance behind the revival tent validation. Like it's sickening. I, yeah. I get applause on my way to work. When I'm walking to my office, they go, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, right. For an hour and a half. Right, guys. Right. Right. We're all having a good time still. Right, guys. Yeah, I mean, I it, it it I've been through the looking glass of like I make myself sick, and the, through the looking glass of I'm oblivious to I should be making myself sick, and now I'm landed squarely in the this is this. Yeah, and I'm I'm aware, and you know, I forgive me yourself. That's the hardest person to make amends to is yourself. Oh, a hundred. You got to go around going like, hey, if I fuck this up, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And yourself, let yourself off the hook is the hardest part. Yeah, because you, you let yourself off the hook first for the wrong reason. That's what a cover story is, an alibi. Like, no, I didn't do that. I did this. Well, 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 come on, what's everybody fucking getting crazy about? Yeah. So, well, no, that's, you know. So, that's why I uh, I listen to Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. Cautious man. Uh, Peter, play the opening. Bill Orton was a cautious man of the road. He walked looking over his shoulder. And remain faithful to its code. Just guitar and synth the entire song. Once again, extremely heavy. Now this is about his marriage falling apart, but he disguised it as a man named Billy. Billy struggles between doing the right thing and doing the thing that's right in front of him. And he's also a man of the road. He can prepare himself for something in the distance, but always has to deal with the unexpected thing right in front of him first he's a comedian he's a comedian in a very catholic perspective the overly cautious billy is so aware of the road that temptation will lead him down that he tries to fortify himself by praying and even though it's never explicitly said the implication is that by the end of the song billy has inevitably betrayed his wife despite his morals or religion is that what you got Oh yeah, I mean, there, it's that's another recurring thing with Bruce songs is, you know, despite it not being openly said, it's it's really obvious. Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like stolen car, off of uh, the river. Like that's the guy stepping out, but he's driving a stolen car down on Eldridge Avenue yeah. each night. I hope to get caught, but I never do. Yeah, like he's not stealing fucking cars. It's like great euphemism and analogy. So yeah, I, I agree completely with that. Where'd you re- was that your This own? is me and this is Morty, dude. Morty and this me. How, this is how good you and Morty are. Is I actually just asked you where did you get that? <laughs> like what Rolling Stone article did you no, pull it's that from? A, dude, Morty well just done. Morty knows everything about dude. He just knows everything about music. He's a great buddy. He helps me with the questions and it's it's a mixture of my honest opinion and then him finding the facts out. But this is about betrayal. Have you ever been on either side of betrayal? Oh, absolutely. There's a profound hurt from the betrayal of 
my divorce. Like that's, I'll never, I'll never understand why. Like that's the ultimate betrayal. Like and there wasn't like cheating. She didn't cheat on me. It's just, why couldn't you just show up? Why couldn't you just answer the bell when I said, this isn't like, why'd you gaslight me into, that's not me being a victim because I'm a horrible victim and it makes me, ugh. so yeah, that was the betrayal. I, my, there's some deep down personal shit that I kind of mentioned earlier, very peripherally that I'm like, How, what kind of a fucking person are you that, you know, betrayal stuff. And then I betrayed like my last girlfriend I cheated on. I've never been a cheater. When I was married, I never looked in another direction ever. Cause you cheat once you're a cheater. You die a cheater. Yeah. You don't go, it doesn't go from mis you know, felony to misdemeanor. You don't work it off your, your record. Lifer, yeah. If you cheat once your life, your conscious is not your record. Your conscious is your conscious. Your record can be manipulated, lost. It can be, you know, you know, expunged. Yeah. Your conscious never goes. It's there until your last, we think until your last salient thought. And then we might keep going. We don't know. So I cheated on my ex. Um, we're we're dating now again. It's just that insatiability, that validation, like having sex with somebody is the ultimate validation. Like, okay, I'm all right, I'm all right. And um, and what broke my heart about it, that's not me inversing the prism. What was so hurtful to that the person that I actually love the most, the person that I saw that like tiny 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 baby bunny bird that little wounded bluebird of a little of a girl the one i would protect is the one i hurt the most i've hurt anyone in my life there's nobody I hurt more than this girl for, for pussy and that was devastating for her i remember she mailed me back every note i had ever written her every card Every like little like weird plastic ring with an ant on it from playing skee ball at the sure. pier. Yeah. And she I opened I opened a bag of hurt. Oh man. Like every note. It was like six months all in. A, I had visual proof of my not pathetic. It's healthy, but like just that that vigilant, like still thinking about you, still thinking about you. So, so the old me would have said pathetic, but it wasn't pathetic. It was it was honest. And just the output was, it's like Lennon and McCartney. You just don't fucking stop. You just keep writing, keep writing. Because that's how you feel. You have to get it out. Don't postpone joy. Share it. And to have that back and see the volume and the understanding that this person doesn't want it. Doesn't want a record. Talk about expunged from the record. Like, doesn't it's, want she's it. She's giving it all back. She doesn't want any in her life. Wow. It was like a sack. Like a Santa imagine. bag. And it was just, I opened a bag of hurt. That's never happened to anybody, really. Like, I just opened a bag of pain. And that's when I went, I fucking, like, I have crippled somebody for something so fleeting and stupid. It's because of fucking Instagram. Hey, Instagram, stop <laughs> telling the person I'm fucking they should be hanging out with the person I want to fuck. <laughs> hey, you both have this guy in common. You should follow each other. I disagree. Okay. Oh, no, no, because then you'll... Didn't you have the inevitable conversation when the girlfriend's like, why do you like all of her posts? I don't, what are you talking about? I don't know who that is. Who is she? She's a stranger from the internet. Who is, why do you like, you liked everything she's done the last year. Who, why? Well, I, I, I want to fuck her in case you die. Like that's literally it. <laughs> you can't in say case, that. But that's literally it. I know. If we don't want to just go fuck them this moment, if you die, the sympathy pussy is going to be off the charts. Yeah. 
And that's the, in case of emergency break glass, dude. That's the best nut. The best nut is the post like death nut. Like if you're if you're in the sitting <laughs> the sitting shivages, like that's that's about as good as it gets. Yeah, like dude. I got a buddy Hackett's house. When, we're sitting, <laughs> when, when, when did you get laid? Because of fucking grief. After death? my dad died, I remember the oh, best okay. sex I ever had was with my girlfriend at the time, and it, I mean it was like a it was like the like the final scene in Munich where he's like ah, and he's like he's coming for all the like the 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 Olympic people. All right, check this out. No, no, no. Fuck. This bit is better than this Springsteen song. What, post-sex nut? I mean, that's, that's something. This that's everybody, though. This better than this song. And that's how, that's how funny you are. And I'm not kidding. This is way better than this song. Thank you very much. About. But, like, the parallels are amazing because after my mom died, my best sex was with my dad. <laughs> I'm embarrassed that I had... That that thing had a tail so long, yeah. I almost didn't get it through the door in time <laughs> before you realized. Like a minute. It, it, there, there was, if it was a nanosecond longer, you would have went, fuck you. You would have cut me off and said, shut up. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Hey, this is Chris Santos, host of Delirious Nomads, the Blacklight Media Podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Delirious Nomads is a podcast about all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports. And me being a chef and all, we'll be riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. According to the E Street Band drummer Max Weinberg, when he called in to help and add real drums to the recordings for this album, Bruce played him the songs twice max told bruce something like that guy is really confused bruce replied exactly the character goes between 51 percent and 49 percent certain that he's made the right or wrong decision he keeps going back and forth between the percentages of that morality between right and wrong how do you resolve the conflict between what you know and what you feel you should really save these questions for just any time you podcast, man, because these are like blistering questions. These are great. Thank you, buddy. I don't know if there is a conflict. Of course there is. I mean, of course there is. Yeah. I'm able to identify it like playing Frogger when you know like this truck's coming, like don't go through here. My son is eight, so I know for a fact that I am the port in the storm. I'm bad cop essentially. And my son is happiest when he's going to somebody else's house and it breaks my heart. So that's a situation that I can see often where my feeling and what reality is, what I know to be true battle, but your feeling is true because you can't control how you feel. Sure. 
like clouds just roll in, they roll out. You just got to not kick the shit out of yourself for having a feeling. And it's how you react to the feeling that either causes a storm or they blow over. And being an alcoholic, when I react to something, nobody remembers what the problem was in the first place. That what I reacted to, they have no idea what it was because my reaction is so disproportionate. Sure. And I just fill the fucking cup ocean into a trash can like yeah you're like we gotta fucking clean all this shit up there's seawater everywhere they don't remember what it was that i reacted to no i get it so that's yeah but that's, it's also what is what is i think you're 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 saying this perfect because the character billy has that conflict i mean the, he paints it when he says that he's got the tattoo of love and hate or love and fear so he has love on one hand nice. and fear on the other, and that's that's the that's the inner conflict of life. I mean, that is. I don't know if Bruce will ever get enough credit. Before, he won't because love and fear instead of love and hate. Yeah, is the most prescient, salient, fucking bullseye, bull yeah. fucking eye, motherfucker. You can all go suck a fucking bag of wet dicks because <laughs> Bruce just kicked the shit out of all of us. Because every human being on earth is fucking afraid. Yeah. Why do they sabotage shit? Like, wow, I wish I could see it when. Because they're fucking afraid that you're going to hurt them because they've been hurt. Your questions have just blown me away. Like, you're really great at this, man. Thank you, buddy. And tougher than the rest, like, it, it's fear. Fear kicks the shit out of all of us. We all are going to be hurt again. But I got news. Anybody listening, the worst thing that ever happened to you has already happened to you. So you're fearing, you're defending castle walls for, there's nobody in that castle anymore. You're the only one there like, well, uh-oh, 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 whatever you're afraid of, whatever your fear is, like ladies are afraid of being hurt. Well, guess what? So am I. Well, not really. Because it's, it's an inevitability. I know it's going to happen at some point. That's, that's the fucking carnival ride that we're on. So the fact that he has love and fear on this character's forearms and his tattoos is fucking game over for me. Yeah. This is when the album, to I, me, just like the, 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 when you cinch a fucking trash bag, when it's full, you just pull that fucking thing and tie it. Yeah. That's, that's, this is it. And then the shit that comes after it, which are the actual best songs on the album. Oh, that's then what you, you think. get, okay. then you get overflowing with, this is an album I don't even fucking like. I don't even like this fucking album. I like it. I don't like, if you, I like you get it, it now it. because it's, it was made for I, you oh, now. That's what's crazy about this shit, man. Oh, is I that got sometimes it. You hurt, you hear things, yeah. but you're now you, you, you listen to That's it. That's a great you, point. I was you know about to I mean? argue with you out of, cause that was a defense mechanism. Like, no, don't let him see that. <laughs> I, how, but no, I, I opened with gets you, dude. I, I, I'm telling you, I had the, when I remember when I heard okay computer, right. When I was thinking about dropping out of, of college and it was like, that album spoke to me. Like it was me like, too. Oh, this is made for me. And Beck Sea Change, when I was going through a breakup, that was the first time I listened to it, really listened, and it just fucking leveled me. Okay, so computer, this, yeah. Man, I, I really am so happy I'm sitting across from you, man. Perfect. Because, okay, computer, move my molecules, man. It's, it's just an album and when that... I listen to it now, nothing. There's, there's this great thing. Nothing. An abandoned warehouse filled with snow. But that's the thing, is that you heard it at the time you need to hear it. There's a, there's a moment in the John Lennon documentary, uh, Imagine, where there's this homeless guy that's been sleeping in his, uh, in his backyard on one of his castle lands. And the guy says to him, he's like, what are you do-? John's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, you wrote those songs for me. And he's like, what, what do you mean? He goes, every one of the songs it's just like you're speaking right to me now this guy is certifiably probably crazy that's not the guy that shot him that's not the guy no isn't that crazy <laughs> but this guy but he said he had said he said listen it's just like i'm glad you identify with this he was like but i was writing this about yoko but i've had that feeling where i'm listening to a song and i'm like this is 
this is me. I mean, and it just it just gets into your soul. So I've had it with Brilliant Disguise. First time I heard, yeah, Brilliant Disguise does that to me. The poem Blue Bird by Bukowski. I go, this is like he wrote this about me. But like, but creepy where I creep myself out. Yeah. Because it's too, and like I don't really share it with anybody because you sound like a fucking, what's the frequency, Kenneth? Like somebody's <laughs> going to shoot a senator. You sound like a crazy person. What's the frequency, Kenneth? It's the guy who tried to shoot Dan Rather, right? I think so, yeah. How about that? Because he went up because he said to him, "What's the frequency, Kenneth?" And then he shot. Yeah, yeah. Right. I think that's what happened. What's the frequency, Kenneth? Talking to Dan Rather. Was it Dan Rather? Yeah, but he called him. He whoever the guy's name that he shot at wasn't Kenneth. He just said Kenneth. Yeah, I don't know. If he was saying to him. It's, it's crazy. We're applying we're applying logic to crazy. Let's get to walk like a man. Lyrically, I love this song. Okay. If I just read the words, I'd be so excited to hear it. Yeah. And that's when um, the producers take a runny flu dump in my mouth. <laughs> this is runny flu dump atrocious. It's, it's, Very it, few things can be called runny flu dump atrocious. atrocious. This is when you just sit on the bowl. It's not like a power like, blah, like explodes out of you. It's just that runny like blah, 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 like giblets and gravy. Yeah. Too hot for your own ass. Like this is, this is much hotter than my insides. Uh, but it, you feel the fucking heat coming through your legs onto your like, you know. I agree. I, this I, is a fucking abomination. This is these. If it wasn't who it was, I'd say they all should never have been allowed to produce again. And we wouldn't have had Philadelphia. True. So thank God. But True. good God, this song is runny, flu dump, atrocious. It sounded so cheesy to me. It's not a bad song. This is Bruce Springsteen's father and son. Andrew McCarthy should be trying on different hats in a montage of a movie in like 85. Yes. It's, this I, is like St. Elmo's Fire. This is back. very St. Elmo's Fire. This is Bruce experiencing a series of memories from his younger days as he stands at a church altar watching his bride-to-be march up the aisle. Co-producer Chuck Plotkin told Mojo that the track is what... The whole Tunnel of Love album is about. I, I'm gonna I guess. I'm gonna guess so. this is where they gave the keys to the castle to Chuck Plotkin. Yeah, right. And he, this is his like, uh, right, everybody. Yeah. No, wrong. I, I, I just, I get the idea. Like you said, lyrically, this is great. But this is about the relationship with your dad. How, how is your relationship with your father? It's good. It's, um, it took me a long time to realize, and this is an important message I think to anybody listening to accept. Your parents love you entirely there's no rainy day where they're going to get you more give you more affection that's them at 110 and 111 because i always thought like what do i got to do to get this guy to like think i'm cool he thinks i'm pretty fucking cool maybe the coolest because i'm his son his only child his only son yeah i have two sisters and his inability to water and sunlight me and this plant is entirely my problem. If God took my father aside and said, why don't you like J.J. Moore? My dad would say to God, who the fuck are you? Yeah. To the maker. So if you're out there and you have this thing with your parents, like, why, what's her problem? Why? I promise you, there is no hidden drawer in that human being where you're going to get more out of them and just know that no one is able to have a child and not love beyond their comprehension of what love is. That's They are consumed with their love for you. They'll never be able to explain it to anybody. They feel it. They live it. You're alive because they kept you alive because you can't care for yourself when you're a baby. But their inability to share it 
is someone else's problem that fucked them up and their inability to share it the way you need it shared to you is entirely your problem and you just have to believe like your height. You would never argue your height. This is a truth. It, it's a it's a koan. It's a yogi. It's it, They love you all the way. Yeah. So once I made that realization, I stopped dancing for my father. I stopped like, so... Uh, how about Rutgers football, right, yeah. guys? Like learning the roster and having cool things to say when yeah. I. And then we, ever since then, it's been great. And then my mom passed about four months ago, and then, then it becomes like Springsteen asks the relationship because when I went back home for a couple of days, I was in Erie, Pennsylvania, and I just drove six hours to just sleep on my dad's couch for two days. And my dad in the morning going like, "Can I make you an omelet?" It was like, "Whoa." That was him just on his knees crying at my feet. Can I make you an omelet? And hearing that differently. I heard it many times in my life. And I haven't slept that good in years, son. Yeah. He didn't mean years. You know, he meant since I was left by your mom because she died of Alzheimer's. The relief of not having to do that all the time, but also what the fuck am I going to do? I'm going to be out of here in eight years anyway. Like the parenthetical of everything he said was so precious where he... He was sort of like my child, yeah. And I don't. It, it's it became like this beautiful thing. So we're fantastic. That's great. I'm grateful. That's great. Well, look, this still though. Oh, my father. He's a cunt. Sorry, <laughs> I thought a, you said my uncle Jim. Yeah, I like Jim. On this song, Bruce <laughs> figured out another way to express his dissatisfaction with his marriage while also using it as another vehicle to address the bonds, rifts, and identification he had with his father. So, two parter. Did your dad give you any advice? prior to either of your marriages no uh, you know when you do stand up at 16 years old you're you're on a high wire that your father's looking up period He's, he can't give you advice how to walk a high wire so by the time you get married decades after you first do stand-up comedy and do it all the time and it, it's i don't know if he felt uh i don't want to say he didn't feel it's his place because i don't know his mindset before either of my marriages, I, but I do know he was fully confident that I would either do things correctly or figure it out after not doing them correctly. And that in of itself is an enormous act of love. But let me ask you this. Since you've become a father, uh, how has that changed your perspective about your dad? Entirely. It, it it became my only perspective, and I I wish I had a time machine to apply that awareness and those feelings. When you have a child, look, when someone's pregnant, they have a party at the idea of the baby arriving. So before you were born, there was a celebration. The idea of you, they fucking partied. When you were born, your father carried you down the street into the barber shops and and goes, "I got I have a son. I got a kid. Look, it's I a have, kid. It's my kid. I have, a, I have a son. Is he something else? Yeah, that never changes. Nobody looks at a twelve year old and goes, "This fucking guy is not how I thought he'd turn out." It's a work in progress all the time, but so is he. So, having a son blew my mind. In my book, no wonder my parents drank. There's a questionnaire at the back for you to give your father and your son, and it's astounding. It's, you know, like what age, it starts really benign, like when should be bedtime? Like what time should be bedtime? Is it ever okay to hit a child? When are you done being a father? What's the difference between being a father to a boy and a girl? 
what's the easiest part of being a father to a boy? What's the hardest part? And his answers made me, like, right now I'm almost crying. Like, yeah. it, it, what it revealed was a guy who... loves me more than anything on earth and felt exactly <clears throat> how I felt about his father. But it was worse for him. So then I realized my father's love for me isn't based on the diorama or the schematic of how his father loved him. It's independent. And it's not, I'll show you, I'm going to be a father in the other direction because that's not how parenting works. It's not like I dated a, a musician. Now I'm going to date a fucking accountant. I'm going to go the other way. Like you can make those choices when it comes to who you date. But as far as being every day in someone's life, eventually the tells are going to give it away and you're going to stop putting on that show. So what I gathered from that was my, my, my father's father was cold, cold. And my father's love and how he was with me was his own creation. Josh, buddy, that's that was two years ago, and I was mortified that I ever told anybody. He's like, I don't know, you know, my dad. I was mortified at things he never knew I said. Like, he just never knew how to give me enough affection. I said that a lot, publicly. I said on fucking, on the Tonight Show, yeah. literally. And it was just a hand on the head, like, Oh my God. And I just, I, I just, next time I saw him, I just told it all to his face. Like, and he's so uncomfortable, like, because of his father and the coldness. And what I was always like, what's this deal? His reaction to me, I'm like, bro, I just fucking brought you the goddamn dove with the leaf in her mouth, and you're kind of fucking selling me out here. Yeah. The flood's over. Don't you get it? But then I realized in real time, like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah uh, that's my answer that's great that's great man alright let's move on to uh, Tunnel of Love perfect perfect this is a this is a per this is an actual perfect song I, I agree I, I you, do you, like this song a lot you, it's not my favorite on the record but I do like this song you could not improve it I like this song a lot but I feel that this song is is too close to the music of that era. I think that Bruce, it's a great Bruce Springsteen song, but I feel like Bruce was listening to what was popular right then and kind of, you know, just opening it up to that a little bit. Wow. It's, it's a little I, bit influenced by, I think, some of the music. It, it has a feel, not to say it, but a take on me kind of feel. You know, just, it's, it's just, it's unlike, whereas the other songs... I was talking to Morty, and he says they're so 80s. I'm like, nah, I didn't think so. I but agree Tunnel with Morty. of Love, really. The other songs to me are, in, like, it's just, like, Walk Like a Man. I'm just like, oh, my God. Yeah. And with the exception of uh, Ain't Got You, I think it's a pretty 80s. I mean, it is the 80s. You can't fault the guy for doing that. Like, listen to Tom Petty. Like, the 80s, by the way, is the lost rock and roll I agree. decade. Because people think, like, there was no rock and roll in the 80s. There was an astounding amount of great rock and roll it's in the great. 80s. It's fucking insane. Yeah. Like, forget it. Bruce, the Stones, and Zeppelin, I disagree with you entirely. Okay. 
But I love that you said it. I'm, I'm not going to tell you how you feel is wrong. No, but, but it's like here's talking the, to an atheist. You are, but at the same time, it's like that's that's what's great about this is that when we we hear these songs, we all hear them differently. And as soon as I heard this, wow. I was like, wow, this just felt dated to me. This felt like '87. I feel like it could come out right now. I really? Like, absolutely. Tunnel of Love is like we said earlier is a metaphor for the ups and downs in a relationship. This this was inspired, like you said, by the amusement rides of the boardwalk on of Asbury Park. New Jersey, where Springsteen hung out and gigged growing up. The thing about these rides is that they always come to an end. And it's pretty straightforward and detailed in the third verse. Peter, play minute three, second, O2. This is my shit right here. It ought to be easy, ought to be simple enough. Man meets woman and they fall in love. But the house is haunted and the ride gets rough. And you've got to learn to live with what you can't rise above if you want to ride on down in through this tunnel of love. Astounding. That's great. Are you more likely to get off the ride before your partner or stay until the end? Uh, I'll just act like I'm sleeping on the end of the ride. <laughs> is my honest answer. Really? I won't get off, but I'll be a very benign passenger. So almost like you want them to end it? Like you're, you're waiting yeah, because for them? Yeah, because they, they do show up once in a while. And if you... Um, I, you got to keep in mind, there's over a decade of marriage. So I, my my uh, my sampling thing, and then it's just a pussy-a-thon, and then a girlfriend, and then a girlfriend. So I get off the ride when... I wish I spent more time with you. Like, how's your roster of girls? It's like, what? How? What fucking planet do I have time for a roster of girls? Yeah. I mean, a rotation, sure. But it's a playoff rotation. You only need three. Just get me to just get me just get me to pet it, and we're out of here. <laughs> oh, Andy Pettit, how can you be as good? You can't be better and not be in the Hall of Fame. He's not a Hall of Famer. He's not. But as far as post, he's a postseason Hall of Famer for sure. Like, oh yeah, dude, insane. he's insane. Like, as that is your uh, whatever. So I uh, I get off the ride right as they put the bar down over your knees or around your shoulders on the roller coaster when they're like, so who's uh you know like my assistant or like my producer, my podcast, Corey? I just like you know what I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna so who's Corey? I'm gonna get off this ride right now because <laughs> you think I'm cheating on you and we're not dating yet. Like I just took you to the fucking pier. Yeah. Like, who's that? That's how you want to start this whole evening? So, But once we're up and running, I'll ride a rocket into the center of the sun like fucking Slim Pickens. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Here I go again. Well, normal relationships and breakups are already some of the worst stressors on people who lead private lives. But Bruce and Julianne also had to deal with public scrutiny. However, there was nothing like what we're dealing with today in social media. So after two marriages and two subsequent divorces in the public eye, what is it like being strapped in on that ride while the world feels like they can chime in? This plays back to the external versus internal validation. Mm-hmm. Public scrutiny only applies if you allow it into your private life to be scrutinized by you. So... Being an author 
a couple times. Like I just put out a, I'm putting out a poetry book. You got to not give a fuck about people's comments on message boards if you're going to release poems. Yeah, I feel As like you 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 don't give a shit. Like I feel like you just are, have your lane, and that's what that the way you drive. It's a wide lane, and it's a lot of road, and I don't know when it ends. So I'm just gonna drive the fuck out of it. And if I get a flat tire, I'm gonna ride in the rims. I'm gonna ride in the rims. Have you ever the- though let let the like this the the internet or whatever get inside of you and just? I'm and a just comic. I know, but I mean, of there's, course, like, I've I, wasted. I can- I can look at that. We were talking about earlier about like the breakthrough I went through when one of the things I did was I, I put down social media cause I couldn't just see other people having fun and basically faking stuff. And I just applied it to me of why I'm not now I can look at it. And I mean, I'm not on the same level as you in the public eye, but I can look at stuff and just be like, that's all, that's all bullshit. I see it now. You know, I have gone mad on the internet. I have fucking, and all together, the amount of time I've responded to people, which I haven't in a couple years. And if I do, it's because I'm taking a dump. Like, why do you have a tattoo that says, my wife on your wrist? And I just write, because I was married. But then I'm not on social media as much because there's no reason to be on it. There's yeah. actually zero reason. There's no purpose to it for you. The purpose you think it has for you is being completely oversold to you. If you tweet and Instagram and Snapcock and chat and chalk and all that shit relentlessly and it's a 1,000-seat theater, 11 people because of your fucking public shit. Like, maybe, maybe on a weekend, maybe 16 people out of five shows are like, oh, he tweeted it. I didn't know he was going to be here in my town on the radio and on the poster at the club and the email the club sends me for fucking free tickets for the bullshit acts before he got here, reminding me he was going to be here. Like all of a sudden my fucking tweet at 1 AM because the girl I was banging went to go take a shower. <laughs> like, right, let me send out a tweet. By the way, uh, Rochester coming at you. Like, Ooh, we still do it. Cause it's kind of expected yeah. of us, but yeah, I went through a very, I guess it was a very public divorce, but it wasn't. But then it was after the fact when all the public shit, was released. It was a very bizarre. And I went back to AA March fourteenth two years ago. I didn't drink though. I was just insane. I was actually you were dry drunk and just oh yeah. the resentment and the absolutely dry drunk. I was a fucking mad person. And after I went back to AA March fourteenth, I was down in uh like Huntington Beach or something. It was some weird random meeting on a Wednesday. And the guy was the lead singer of a a very famous punk band that we all know. Maybe named after an assassinated president who isn't Lincoln. And I went up to say hi to him after the meeting. And as I approached him, he goes, I can help you. That's how he greeted me from like 10 feet. Not 10 feet, six feet. So it was like a little bit of a line because people were kind of swinging from his dick. Anyway. Sure, of course. He just goes, I can help you. Like with a smile like, I know why you're really coming up to say hi to me because you fucking need help. And he told me to call him at 7 a.m. the next morning. I was like, got it. But first read, you know, up to page, I'm making up these numbers, but read up to page eight in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, just highlight what you think you should be highlighting, but then you have to read it again. I I did exactly what he said. And people go, no, it was 6 a.m. And people go, 6 a.m. I go, let me tell you something. If that guy had Vicodin and lived in the Inland Empire, I'd fucking walk. Yeah, yeah dude. Him. I'll just stay up. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, I mean. He's got it. He's a dentist. He's going to be there. He's got to open. Yeah. So 
<laughs> and then when I called him the next morning, having completed the tasks, we agreed to meet somewhere else. And I felt like I was up and running. Because I just need to work a pro. I just needed to just pour, get, I just need to get well, period. And it's a 100% success rate if you do it. Period. Like if you do it and commit to it, it's never, it has never failed. Uh, I, I, any, any 12 step program, man, is, is good for some, I think everybody should be in one. And we're not, know. yeah, I'm, I'm not selling a 12 step program, whatever works for you. Great. Um, that drive after I got off the phone with them, I hung up the phone and I went into town to go, I live in Malibu. I went to go to work and then my phone went crazy. Yeah. Ill, there's a drug situation. The child's in danger. This was almost a year after I had filed for divorce in a public courthouse where it's public record. And it wasn't until I agreed to do what this guy told me to do. And I, in my core, committed to unconditional surrender to this. I'm doing this. Whatever this fucking guy. If this guy tells me I need a Sherpa guide because I'm going to Mount Baldy <laughs> in a goddamn bathing I'm uh, Yes. You'd be loading up on Yeti coats. I'm over. It's, I can't do this anymore. My life is unmanageable. And it was March 15th. I filed for divorce, Josh, in December. So the fact that I said a year, that was incorrect. So January, you know, that was three months after the fact. That's what... Apropos of nothing, on a fucking Thursday, on March 15th, that's when it was like, ding, ding, ding. My phone's going crazy, like, mental illness, drugs, and fucking kids kids in danger, and like, abuse. Like, what the fuck? That's, that's insane. That's the public eye, but also, it was after the fact, so like, there was some divinity in there protecting me, because if it happened in December, I'd probably be in jail. Right now, I would have went crazy and killed somebody, so... I don't remember what the question was. So I talk a lot. It was great. Don't worry. All right. Quick fact about this. The song features a guitar solo by Nils Lofgren. The musician was passing through New Jersey when he called Springsteen to say hi and check in. Bruce said that, told his pal he had a track underway and suggested he came by and take a poke at it. So this is a very lighthearted question. What was a career success that was just perfect timing? All of them. I mean, all of them. Whether you know it or not, but as far as like the confluence of events and you just, it's show business and success. I don't want to give like a, a you know, this, the secret to life is showing up, but it is. In the cartoon where like Bugs Bunny or somebody's not, they're reading a book, but they're walking through a construction site and they're about to walk off of a building and then a beam's being raised up. They step yeah. onto the beam and they keep walking and it drops them off at something going down and they, they're going to fall into a hole. They get scooped up by like a bird. Like that's like it's tunnel of love. I'm realizing as I say it yeah. all, that's what show business is. Because then you're just sitting at home one day and you get an email from one of the writers of Action that goes, "Such a good show, by the way." Thank you, Ron Zimmerman. Just emails me and goes, "Hey, uh, you know, there's this show over at such and such productions. We want to do it. It's it. They want you to do it." And you're going like, "This is the most. It's it's the reality show we're working on called." What's your problem? Where people say, I got a problem. My fucking father won't let me do this. And, th- and then I go to their house and I like fix their problem. Yeah. So like the weirdest shit happens. It's kind of like spirituality and enlightenment. It happens only when we're still. That's when the phone rings. When we're just manic and running all over the I fucking place. I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. All we're doing is going, why isn't the phone ringing? But then or just like any kind of spiritual awakening it's when you're just settled in the most random spot 
would just go bow. You get that sniper shot between that fucking third eye in the middle. And you just, the one constant I've learned is success. And I don't mean show business success. I don't mean financial. I mean success of life and living it and the, the richness of it all. Really, like when you re up a video game, like, bling, like free guy, bang, bonus, free guy. It happens when we're just stills and you can't really plan to be still because we get nuts. I can't agree with you more. I mean, all the success I've had in the last year and a half is, is, is directly just from being okay. Like, I know I'm okay. And I'm just, and it's it just, I don't freak out. And it's like, also, I'm enjoying just the regular day to day stuff. So when somebody's like, oh, yeah, you booked this, I'm like, oh, that's great. But it doesn't make it better than what I was doing before that because what I was doing before was awesome. You know what I mean? It's just everything. Yeah. It's just it's just all perspective. As somebody said it's like you if you love your work, every day is Christmas. You the know timing's what I mean? perfect, like Saturday Night Live timing. All right, here's the most timing conducive, like what the hell just happened? My manager had a comedy club in the village. Barry Katz had a comedy club. On West 3rd Street. Jay, I'd like for you to come to perform at the comedy club. Jay, it's Barry. Are you sitting down? <laughs> hey, Josh. <laughs> hey, Barry. Hey, man, I was just talking to the people at Paramount. They want you to star in the uh, story of your life. They're going to give you $16 million up front today. All I need is to say that you're totally into it. You have complete financial freedom and you have all creative control. Is this something that interests you? Oh, man, it sounds great. Okay, they want you to change your last name to Sputnik. <laughs> Are mean, you all right with that? I mean, no, not at all. All right, I'll tell them. <laughs> <laughs> I closed my eyes while you were doing that and I thought he was sitting here. Um, Josh, no I have a gig for you. It pays $1,000 a minute. It's on the Great Wall of China. <laughs> the Chinese government, after every comedian they've ever seen... They chose Josh Adam Myers. <laughs> I like when he gets excited. My manager, Barry, is kind of an iconic human being and a very deep, deep-rooted father figure for me. Profoundly love him. It, like when he gets excited, he goes, they want to do, out of all the comics, <laughs> Josh, I'm like, Josh, I mean, no, his giant fucking hands, his big chew fucking He's got banana fingers. Big chew teeth and juicy Andy Pettit lips. <laughs> <laughs> but he, when he put his fucking hands on, he goes, well, I mean, no disrespect. You're a great comic, but they could have had fucking George Carlin when he was alive. They, they, they could have had, like, Bill Burr. I'm like, Josh, Adam Myers, all right, so they want you to do comedy on the Great Wall of China, and it's going to be broadcast by every country on Earth. I mean, is there something to interest you? Uh, one thing about this gig, though, can you have, uh, do you know how to fly a Learjet? <laughs> What you were saying about the you were you hit him, he hit you up to perform at the comedy club or he owned the comedy club. Sorry, that. that was I, great. I, no, no, no. Never, I anytime you break in and want to break into impersonation, I fucking <clears throat> love it, dude. Of course you do. It's all you know. It's how to love me. I'm the Antichrist. Um, so they had Saturday Night Live auditions at the comedy club. It was summertime. I'm not sure of the month. It was on the second floor. There was no air conditioning that night. The air conditioning was out. So Marcy Klein, the producer, Ryan Sharaki. Michael Shoemaker and others were in this fucking ski lodge, second floor sweatshop, literally. I went on third. They left after I got off stage. There were 14 comics doing 10 minutes each, and they fucking left after number three. They didn't get to the cleanup hitter. Maybe they left after the cleanup hitter. So after the third guy fucking wraps one out, 
the fourth guy comes up. They're just kind of stirring around like, we're gonna, fuck it, we can't. It was so hot. Yeah. They, they couldn't take 22 minutes of comedy. It was like eight minutes each, maybe, you know. And uh, they left. And so you was, saw them leaving. No, when I get off stage, I am home. By the time somebody texts me, are you still here? I'm in my house. You're already home, yeah. And people go, why? I had a girl say this to me the other night. Like, do you always leave like that? I go, when a guy paints your house, does he hang around the yard when he's done? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Yeah, I know. Like, there's no job on earth. You just hang out when you're done. I'll stick around if there's a couple of buddies well, there. Well, there's a but, bar. Yeah, but there's a bar. There's some but friends. I don't drink. But I and get, I, yeah. I always have you. more than one chick. I'm like, fucking Instagram enough. <laughs> there's always like, I just got to get the fuck out of there. And then you I recalculate, run. regroup. Yeah. And then I go get it. <laughs> Which one's got the push? All right, so you, so you, so they leave for that timing. Yeah. Like they, literally, comics four through whatever had no idea there was no one there to watch them. What's yeah. Barry gonna do? Like just so you know, the people left. There's no reason to have a show anymore. Yeah. So I was the guy that they saw, and I was the guy that got Saturday Night Live. No one else was even seen with the eyes. So that's impeccable timing. That is impeccable timing. <laughs> Brilliant Disguise is the next song on the record. Both of us have said it's one of our favorite tracks on the record. So this song to me is yeah, drop it. the absolute most perfect song about how I feel, and I am the guest on your podcast, so I'm just going to, I'm all right saying that, about when I fell in love with anybody I've ever fallen in love with, but then through when the, before the divorce not being divorced and having been divorced what people don't realize is the pain is that year two years three years where you know it's happening and you just kind of ignore that fucking engine light and you ignore it and you yeah. ignore it and that's why that last line kills me god have mercy on the man who doubts what he's sure of i don't think he is capitalized so he's referring to the guy who's doubting himself yeah and like he just throws out these Easter eggs, like so something tucked in shame underneath your pillow. I'm like, that's an incredible way to put fear. Like that's talk about fear from the other song. Like she's afraid. There's there's so much hidden fear. Tonight our bed is cold, lost in the darkness of our love. Like oh my god, this is a fucking. This guy was right next. To, I feel like he's right next to the person, and he's entirely adrift and alone. Yeah. And that's how I felt about Tougher Than The Rest. That's how I felt about all the other songs, too. And that's how you feel sometimes in a relationship. And that's what's so confounding about it, that you can be inside somebody. Like, your DNA is swimming through them. You've just fucked your way through the looking glass where there's no two of you anymore. It's Jay and it, Josh and whatever name. Like, that's just, that's who you guys are. It's one entity. And you're just, you're on an island when you're with that person. Yeah. And it's not, it, it wasn't like that when you fell in love. It wasn't like that when you were dating and infatuated and going home and telling your friends like, wow, she's so hot. It wasn't like that when you said I do. It wasn't like that the first year of marriage. And you don't know what, I don't know when it starts. I can't tell you when that started to go. How did, can I, I can ask you this. How, how did Julianne not fucking hear this? Cause he's coming home. He's making it in the goddamn house. And he's making this song. He's like, yeah, honey, I want you to check out this new one. And it's, I mean, this is, is like literally just saying like, I don't know who you are anymore. I don't know who I am anymore. Well, that's, that's the reason why. Yeah. He did it over in a goddamn soundstage or in his recording studio instead of saying the actual words to a face, yeah. probably. I know. That is just so heavy. Because that's how he, that's his language. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. 
Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. This is this, this is, is his language. This is honest to God. I mean, it's out of all the songs on the record, this this definitely to me lyrically just just takes me. I want to play. It's, the, it's it's staggering. It's just staggering. I want to play the bridge, and we're gonna listen to it real quick because I want you to hear. He is the king of bridges. Peter, play the bridge at minute one, second fifty-eight. Now look at me, baby. I don't know if it's you I don't trust because I damn sure don't trust myself. That is I just got goosebumps because A, that could make me cry every time I hear it. Yeah. That exact moment. Lyrically and vocally, that's tough. That's perfect singing. Just he's hitting that note. It's just like, yeah, it's just. And the way he goes, when he goes, now look at me, baby. And you're like, wow. And then he actually goes and Struggling to do everything right. Just a lonely pilgrim. I walk this world in wealth. I want to, this. I just love this. I want to know if it's you I don't trust because I damn sure don't trust myself. I mean, I didn't know the lyrics until. I mean, I knew the lyrics, but I didn't know that it was. I walked this world in wealth until like three years ago, and I yeah. went, "Oh wow, it's even more sad." He's, it's it's ain't got you. Again, thematically, it's always the same fucking theme. But I ain't got you. I walked this way. I got the. I got the diamonds. Yeah. I walked this world in wealth. I want to know if it's you I don't trust. Cause I, like, but I don't have you. Yeah. It's, the, it's fucking mind boggling. And this is the album I don't love. <laughs> well, let me ask you. Are you a naturally trusting or skeptical person? I'm naturally trusting because it plays into like the whole everything else like i fall in love i'm vulnerable and when i say i'm vulnerable when you said it back to me i'm glad it just came up again because it's not a choice it's not like i'm gonna play this one wide open it's just who we are as as like as comics performers you're either a guarded human like we hurt more than other people hurt because we're in that deeper water when people that we that hurt us they're in the shallow end they don't ever hurt like you and I do. We go down a fucking elevator shaft, but they don't ever feel love like you and I feel it. Like they during like what we're doing now, this is love. Like this we're talking about this shit like it's a love. So if you're out there and you're getting fucking hurt, just it's all right. Yeah. Just know that you're going to love disproportionately too. Yeah. When you played that bridge for the first time, I don't know why this never hit me. It's Roy Orbison. It's a complete, oh, yeah. straight up. Yeah, I hear sounds that. like him, and the guitar only in the bridge is flamenco. It's like a weird, like calypso-y. I mean, you could see that he's so influenced by Roy. I mean, oh, no, he's I, wearing the goddamn I, bolo tie. Oh, in the I knew that, room. of course. But I'm saying it. 
you could actually I could hear that being a Roy Orbison song and lyrically he kind of tapped into and like nobody can go near you want to talk about something so underrated you can't even I've never listened to him like that I only know Pretty Woman and a few of the tracks he did with Traveling listen to Leah his voice has a just Leah his voice has a fucking wah-wah pedal on it it's you won't even know what the hell's happening you're like wait it's spooky it's beautiful it's a guy that swims in the ocean to get pearls for Leah but he dreams that he's drowning, so he's got to let go of that fucking oyster. But make sure she gets the pearl. Yeah. But it's a dream, but it's not. It's it's like it, you. I listened on an airplane once. I kept rewinding it, and I was like, because I thought it changed time, but it doesn't. It's just all over. It's just banana. Anyway, but this is like I don't know. There's I don't know what could be said about like when you point out the synth marathon at the end of Tunnel of Love. I'm like, oh yeah, it does. Okay, it can be improved. So I was wrong. This can't be improved. I don't think so either. Basically, he's talking about beautiful disguises that you have uh, with yourself and your lover. But while on SNL for two seasons, you really got to showcase your brilliant gift for impressions to a huge audience. When did you first realize that, that you had that talent? And what were some of your early ones? I would always do like the like the Sesame Street people. But when I was trying to explain it to somebody what I had seen... So it wasn't like a performance as much as, you know, when he goes, oh, uh, Sesame Street News, here I am at the uh, house of the three little pigs. Mm -hmm, yeah, yeah. Um, so like in hindsight, I've always done it. There wasn't like a starting point. And it started mostly imitating what I had seen. Like when I was eight, I saw stripes in a theater because my parents could get a sitter. Yeah. Entirely inappropriate. So I remember coming home. And telling my buddies the next day, next subsequent days, about what happened in the movie. And in hindsight, looking back at it, I can see that I was imitating Harold Ramis and Bill Murray and John Candy, Dewey Oxberger. And the, yeah. You know, my friends call me the cruiser. <laughs> Should have called him the dork. <laughs> I'm like literally just sliding in and out of these weird roles. Andrew McCarthy was like my first on the record as a stand-up comic at 16 years old. I'm, and it's a visual, so it doesn't mean I'm just going like... <sighs> I love her, man, because he had those big weird eyes and I looked enough <laughs> like him. I could pull it off and it like freaked people out. And yeah. I remember going, oh, there's a world here of opportunity because it like, and I and nobody does Andrew McCarthy. That was perfect. Like, I wish does, you guys could have seen his eyes. It like, was I'll do perfect. Forrest Whitaker, like Tracy, obviously Pacino walking is what I'm known for, I guess, is walking. And uh, I did an Arsenio Hall. And that's also when I learned that on stage I had the ability to act. And manipulate my own future. So if somebody from if there's producers in the audience, you can either do stand up or you could do impressions, but in those impressions find the performance. Because I would do Arsenio Hall interviewing Lyle Alzado when he cried. Lyle Alzado, like right before he was riddled with cancer because of steroids. Yeah. And like so I would make myself cry on stage as Lyle Alzado and then the the disconnect of Arsenio, like I just knew it, I was never gonna live to see the work that the like I would actually be I would actually be crying. And then before I switched over back to Arsenio, that 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 quick flip back into the other person, that audience was fucking silent. You could hear a mouse pissing on cotton. Like I had him. That's when I realized power is not beating him over the head. It's quiet. It's quiet. Because then Arsenio like, I do, I do, and I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I heard you play football or something, and there was something going on with the players. What's that about? <laughs> it was just fucking insane. And, but then I also realized formulaically the compression of time. 
I was letting them off the hook for being that quiet and uncomfortable because I'm not, like I was crying. I wasn't comedy crying. I was. You that were guy. there, dude. You were yes. fucking. You were there. So then the Arsenio, like his disconnect, like De Niro was on Arsenio, and it's like, you know, he doesn't really say much. De Niro, like, man, yeah. Mm. And Arsenio's like, I heard you did a movie or something, and something <laughs> like happened. I'm like what? Like you did? Yeah, Bobby De Niro is in the house. <laughs> so then I started doing Pesci and De Niro as Batman and Robin on Arsenio. It just became fucking. Altamont, like insane. <laughs> like who's gonna stab? Who's gonna beat the drummer from Starship over the head with a pool cue? Everybody, be cool. That cat right there. Man. <laughs> and fucking Keith Bruce, yeah. he's the fucking baddest motherfucker on earth. Stops the show. That points at the Hell's yeah, Angel. Dude. That cat right there, man. Cool it. <laughs> cool it. It's like fuck you. How badass is that? That's so great. So Keep- like I like I did actually De Niro and Pesci from Raging Bull as Batman and Robin as guests. <laughs> I don't know if they're like, I heard you had like a fight or something coming up. <laughs> Gennaro, he's like up and coming, he's good looking. He's just he's not gonna make the weight. Stop beating you fat bat bastard. You're like a fucking nut. Your belly's hanging over the fucking bat pole. Look at you, you fucking fat prick. <laughs> You'd be fucking fucking back Yeah, no, your name was like Robin or something. Like it was just fucking crazy. Yeah, that was my SNL audition, but all of it on the fly. Like I didn't go. And then I'm gonna have these two saying this over there. It's like, did you know? Did you know the second you 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 said thank you? That's my time for that audition. Did you have that? Did you know? No. I mean, I, yes, I knew that inside. it was impossible. Yes, I knew that, but. Yes, and I knew it was impossible that I could possibly get this job. That to me was like why the Buddha's smiling, why the Jews are waiting while Mary weeps in the garden. It's impossible. You are, it's fucking absolutely impossible. There's 330 million Americans. Yeah. You factor in the Canadians, that brings the 336, whatever. <laughs> And the rest of the world, like eight up and you're going to do 10, you can do eight minutes or maybe 10 minutes, and you're going to be the guy, the one new person. Like how many new people a year? Sometimes there's none. It's actually impossible, Josh. My parents, great-grandparents, great-grandparents have to meet on another continent and fuck and have the baby not die of the elements or Genghis Khan or Hitler. Like that's that's the level of like it's impossible that you and I are even here. Yeah. So my confidence was and carefree was an arrogance and it's been mistaken for arrogance a lot in my life. It's no, this is all a fucking game. It's a ride like Bill Hicks. It's just a ride. It's just a ride like tunnel of love. It's just a ride. And this ain't the end of the ride. If you don't get this fucking thing, it's impossible. It's comical. So that's what I was certain of. So on the street afterwards, the second audition at stand up New York, Marcy Klein, I was in sweatpants, an East Stroudsburg wrestling camp of champs t-shirt. You're comfies. <laughs> yeah, because I just come from the gym. I took yeah. the subway from the gym. It's, I'm not going to get it. It's impossible. Sure, I'll go do this fucking gag. Oh, wow. And everyone's in like their comedy shirts, their fucking hair. Yeah, dude, because this is the biggest thing in the world. But, I, but, but I, you just but all you, look alike. I know. No, like, I, this I, is I, who listen, I, am. I, I am. I this love this. I am. I'm the guy that goes to the gym on Houston and... Uh, and ble- whatever the fuck, uh, where Angelica Theater is, there's a gym upstairs. And then I'm going to take the subway because I'm going to do what I do every night of my life, the exact way I do it every day. And I don't have any pockets. 
So I take the subway because I can't afford a fucking cab because I'm bored with sweatpants without pockets. Some hop a turnstile, never <laughs> paid it tolls. And yeah, so I just did it. I had like three Amstel lights waiting to go on. I had a little buzz. I went up. I just stared where I thought they were in the back of the audience because I wanted them to know I wasn't afraid of them. So after every like end of a bit, I would just look to the back left corner because that's where I was told they were. And as I got off stage and I left the showroom, they were in the back right-hand corner. So that means after every bit, I'm staring at some fucking realtor from Long Island Jesus. and his gumad. He's like, whoa. Did he see me here? Did Jay Moore really likes you? He keeps staring at your face. You're very handsome, Leon. The guy's like, what's this fucking problem? I'm getting uncomfortable in my pants. <laughs> what's he doing? He keeps looking at me. Yeah. Do I get a problem with this guy? Do and I know this guy? Marcy Klein ran out. She's like, where are you going? I met this woman for a second at the other club. Yeah. It's like, where are, you, where are you going? Like, what are you doing? Where are you going? I'm like, I'm going home. She goes, you can't. Lauren wants to meet you. But it, all set up, like, very prescient about how SNL would actually be all the time. Like, I'm disappointing this person I don't know. Like, where are you? What are you doing? Where are you going? <laughs> like, I got off stage. I'm going, going home. home. Like, you can't. Like, well, ugh. Like, Lauren wants to meet you. Stay. Don't move. I'm like, okay. This is big-ass white limo. And for, white limo. What, do you go to Florida State? <laughs> Jesus. Right? She left. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> or she was going, why? <laughs> like, why? She had my back, right? Why are you leaving? That's so, what she would have finished with. <laughs> nice. So then Lauren comes out. Again, he's there's not seeing anybody after me, so apparently they were just seeing me, and either nobody was hip to that, or they kept it from me so I didn't like bug out. But I don't think I think it's the first one. They just weren't aware because there's no way there's two different auditions with twelve, fifteen people and they leave right after I go on stage both times. When well more than half the show is still going. Yeah, they, well, they knew. Obviously, they knew. They knew what they do about you. I didn't realize you that until this moment. Ah, this, yeah, yeah, This yeah. moment. Yeah. And if you would have, then you might not have performed as, as fucking well. You might have been like me and, you know, a long time ago and self-sabotaged. Yeah. You well, you think about I mean? like, we're going to see, make sure he knows we're coming to see him. And I show up with fucking sweatpants. And I'm like, oh, God. I'm like six amstels. I'm belching. Sorry, I'm belching. And I'm like, like, I didn't give a fuck. So I met Lauren and he's like, it was really great. You'll be hearing from us soon. Okay. And then the next day I had a gig at Catawba College and I got the phone call. I was, you know Anthony Clark? Great comic. Oh, yeah, man. Me and my Anthony mom's Clark. on crack or whatever it was. Oh, my Plus God. I don't, on crack. I don't fucking believe it. <laughs> I'm going to have a game show called I Don't Fucking Believe It. It says you are not retarded. Is that true, sweetheart? Well, step up to the lucky wheel because I don't fucking believe it. <laughs> so he's cleaning out the pool at a Motel 6 in Catawba, North Carolina. And I go, I'm going to go take a nap. I go to lay down. My phone rings in a Motel 6. Who died? Because nobody knows I'm here. It's impossible to track me. I'm in a Motel 6. I just realized even like cell phones didn't exist the second you said that. I didn't even put that it's in consideration. Oh, that would be it's like... 1991. Holy and shit. And I go, hello, it's my agent, Ruth Ann Secunda, and Barry Katz. Are you sitting down? I'm laying down. Is it my mom or my dad is what I said. And he goes... And Ruth Ann goes, no, you got it. So I think she means like both. No, you got it. <laughs> and he goes, you got SNL, man. And it was... As if I had the news that both my parents died as far as severity, weight, and gravity. And uh, it's not like a, fuck yeah, for me. It was, I'm never not going to be governor of South Carolina. Yeah, wow. You're governor in the 70s. They introduce you. They go, you know, governor, uh, you know, that's who you are. I've done 26 Tonight Shows. My intro every time. Former cast members, Saturday, no matter what, Jerry Maguire, and always SNL. Especially to Jay, Lano. 
I was never a cast member. I was a feature performer. But hey, I was lieutenant governor. <laughs> oh, it's it changes lives. I just man. Knew, I, mean, I knew it was entirely no matter what had happened. I had been stamped as legitimate. And um, I go down back down to the pool, and Anthony Clark is a real tall and skinny, goofy, like just. Wow, he's yes, dear was his show with Michael. I remember Mike. that, yeah. And he's still skimming the pool, and the sun's behind me. And I go, "Hey, Tony!" And he looks up. I go, "I just got SNL." And he squints, and he goes, "Well, there goes that nap." <laughs> <laughs> that was his reaction. That's two comics on the road, and back to skimming. And back to skimming. Well, there goes that nap. That's that? great. That's fucking great. All right, one step up, guys. This is about the end of a marriage, a.k.a., as he calls it, their dirty little war. Peter, play two minutes in, 19 seconds. There's a girl across the bar. Get the message she's sending. Mm, she ain't looking to marry me, honey, I'm pretending. Last night I dreamed I held you in my arms. The music was never ending. We danced as an evening sky faded to black. One step back, two steps back. More heavy shit from this song. There's a girl across the bar. I get the message she's sending. Mm, she ain't looking too married. And me, well, honey, I'm pretending. While lyrically heavy, musically, it's very subdued. Uh, until much of the Tunnel of Love album, One Step Up was not recorded in Springsteen's home studio. He recorded this in Los Angeles. He played all the instruments, and now here's the kicker, Jay. Patty Scalfa sang backup on this song, right? So you know that she's probably comforting him and talking, you know what I mean? She's just setting up those bricks. She's just... Is there anything Bruce could do to ruin his image? I don't, who, I don't know if there's anything anyone can do to ruin their image. Michael Jackson's like a absolute, you know a de facto child molester. And it's like, Oh yeah. Like what? I don't know. I don't, I don't really, I think again, like it's just a ride and it's just a game. It's just a ride. It's a tunnel of love. I don't look at the president. Like, what do you have to do to ruin your image? Yeah. Just grab by the pussy. They love it. Script like what? 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 Grab my sister by the pussy. That was my mother. Like, what the fuck are we talking about here? Yeah. It's a different, you know, I don't, I don't think so. When You're Alone. Now, I also wrote not my favorite song, but a good it. song. Eh. Play 53 seconds in, Peter. I was young and pretty on the main streets of the city. And I fought to make my home. With just a shirt on my back, I left and swore I'd never look back. And man, I was gone. Like a baby back home You're gonna find out That they should When you're alone You're alone When you're alone You're alone This is his last ditch effort To appeal to her To stay by threatening her With loneliness in his absence And how he might not be there When she comes crawling back Yet he's still trying to play the good guy by offering advice based on his experience as if what is happening isn't his fault. Josh, this is also called dating a narcissist. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is Bruce being an expert 
and ahead of his time because narcissist continuum didn't really exist as an identifiable thing that we all deal with from time to time. Yeah. This is the most gaslit fucking thing ever. Yeah. He's gaslighting the shit out of this lady. You're going to be lonely. By the way, he's writing this as he's fucking Patty Scalfer. Yeah. <laughs> he's back, allegedly, if I don't give a shit, would no, he, I, come yeah, after me? Something I, had I to take, be happening. I could take Bruce and his minions. But the, but it's still it's still less I'm sorry and more right. get over it. Yeah. Right, no, that's a narcissist thing. Like, that's very narcissistic. You go through a narcissist phone and you go, hey, there's a picture of a girl blowing you. There's like three chicks, three different photos. Are you fucking girl? You went through my phone? Yeah, you're cheating on me. I saw pictures of you with another girl. No, 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 hold on. You went through my phone. Yeah. And then tell the person's like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go through your phone. Like, that's what this shit is. Like, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, that's why this song, Facet, it's not my favorite song. And I wish the lyrics were had a different production. And then and, you think you would appreciate it a little bit more. Because the lyrics are good. I mean. It's amazing. So he, now yeah. I was young and pretty on the mean streets of the city. And I fought to make them my home. With just the shirt on my back, I left and swore I'd never look back. And man, I was gone, gone, gone. I mean, it's he's still painting a great story. Valentine's Day. Great song to end the album. This song sounds like after all the shit that he's been through in the first 11 tracks on it, it feels like he's trying to make the marriage work. I mean, the final line says it all. So hold me close, honey. Say you're forever mine. And tell me you'll be my lonely Valentine. And the, that is Bruce doing what Bruce does. After all the songs we just spoke about, the album ends with, come here. It's redemption. It's like it's the honeymooners. Baby, you're the greatest. Trying to get his last shot uh, at redemption and reconciliation. Yeah. It's like, get away, get away. I got to get away. I got to get away. I got to get away. She's going to get away. Come here. Yeah. But let me ask you. It's my oversimplification of this. But it was guy. great. Though. A year of this guy's that, life he this, put into the But that was, still, that was still the perfect way to say it. So he's, he's basically trying to get this last shot of redemption to bring this girl back and make up for the mistakes that he made. So if you could take anything back from your past relationships and find some redemption, what would it be? No, I wouldn't. I can't. I wouldn't. I mean, that's, I hate when I read that in like in interviews, like I wouldn't change a thing. Well, I can't change a thing. And that's what you're asking me if I could. Yeah. So that's the, the minefield is even being able to turn my brain that way. And then when I look back, it's like, what would I change? I, I mean, when I was married to my first wife, it was like, this is, I can't believe this is fucking happening. I don't want this to like, thank God that shit happened. I wouldn't have met Nick. I wouldn't have Meredith. I wouldn't have my boy. So what I would change specifically about anything like about relationship wise i can't even i don't know I, nothing i can't because i couldn't even change i wouldn't even want to change the way the marriage ended because i want to be married and have a lot of kids and die with this one person for the rest of my life but the, i can't to say that out loud now is a desire to change if i could this is what i would do that no that's like that's a worst case scenario because i don't know if my awareness of what actually happened would change with it so i'd be in this idyllic life going you know i just came from another reality and you just fucked shit up for everybody you asshole lady yeah <laughs> so i don't think i would i wish i had a better i just want to use condoms ever 
Like any girlfriend I ever had. And I would have just made the move on every chick I didn't make a move with. That's what I, I'm not even joking. Alex Baldwin said that to me once when he was getting married to Kim Basinger. He goes, if I could do it all over again, I would have just had sex with every single girl my brother's brought home because I could have. <laughs> First cousins, who cares? Fuck it. <laughs> Fuck it. Because once you're married, it's it. I'm like, it's, so it's a good great. point. It's so great. But th- but that was a perfect answer because it, it's, it shows that you've, you've, you've like forgiven yourself for anything that you might have done and they might have done and it's just, it's a good place to be. I'm not so because- sure about how much I've forgiven them, but you know they say you got to forgive and forget? Yeah. And they go like, I forgive, but I never forget. I forget. I'm not sure I'm about the forgiving part. I don't know. I think when people go like, I've forgiven you, it's a really like gross thing to tell us. Like you're that magnanimous. You wave your magic arm. I've forgiven you. Well, gee, thanks. Because I wasn't even thinking about how you should. Or like, it's, to me, that's like when people say, I'll pray for you. It's like, okay. It's kind of, you didn't, there's no reason you need to say that to me. If, if you've forgiven me, there's no reason to audibleize it. Yeah. I don't know why. It's like saying I'm humble. No, you're not. Because I just heard it. Or saying I'm a white guy saying I'm down. As soon as it's out loud, it's bye-bye. <laughs> no, you're not down at all. I've forgiven you. Like, no, you haven't. Because I just heard you forgive that person. Yeah. The fact that you needed a show to do it. You know what I mean? Like when you film somebody going to the jail to forgive the guy that murdered the kid. I'm like, something's hinky here, man. Because that's some shit in your heart. That ain't some shit you need to get across. I mean... Well, murder's a different thing. Trust me. If anybody knows about murder, it's me, you know. <laughs> All right, Lekka, what do you think? You want to go back to Lekka High and make a walkie ho? How about this? I feel like Springsteen actually confined and constricted you and I. Like, that's the deep fucking channel you're swimming in. Yeah. I see you, dude. Like, I, I can't wait to just talk to you about anything again. And I am uh, I got you, like, for life. Like, Thank you, brother. Dude, this was great. I appreciate you taking the time out to sit down and talk to me about this record, man. Because it's your love of Bruce is palpable. and uh, That's how it, I love everything. Okay, you're asking me about relationships? Yeah. What you perceive as my love of Bruce is my love of everything. Yeah. That's... This is how you are? It's just the way the faucet... You love hard, dude. Yeah, I love all... Well, I, I love softly, too. I just love all the way. Yeah. I color in the whole fucking painting. Most people, like, put a jigsaw puzzle together with the edges first. I just fucking, in midair, just, just fucking <laughs> slam that shit down on the ground, like, that's what we got. Let's start fucking. Yeah. Well, this is great, brother. I appreciate yeah, you taking anytime, the time Yeah, anytime, place. I'd love to talk to you more about anything, dude. And any shows you want to do, like, any, like, like, just, yes, my answer. Let's hang, dude. All, All right. right. Is it you, baby, or just a brilliant in disguise? Uh, uh, For all things Jay Moore, go to his website, jmore.com. It's jmore37 on all social media. And make sure you guys check out his podcast, More Stories, any platform that you guys get podcasts. I'll be posting his mixtape track listing link on the website. And for all things 500, go to the website, the500podcast.com. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. And follow me on all social media at Josh Adam Myers. This weekend, guys, I'm in New York. From June 21st to the 23rd, I'll be at Skankfest. Be there. It's one of the best comedy festivals in the world. And all tickets are on my website at joshadammyers.com. Subscribe to the 500 Fleece Army. Any platform, I don't give a shit. But if you're on Apple, rate, review, 
give it a five star and just say fuck the 500. Follow my writer Morty at DJ Morty Coil and check out his Instagram page where him and his daughter sing a bunch of songs at B and Daddy Cartoons. Now, we just listened to Bruce Springsteen from 1987, so here is an artist that is directly influenced by this album. Here is Gaslight Anthem with their song National Anthem. I never will forget you, my American love. And if you're in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums and artists and you want your music featured on the 500, send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com and make sure you put the album and the artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is Coldplay Week with their 2001 masterpiece, A Rush of Blood to the Head. So y'all got some homework to do. Stay fleecy, y'all. I already live with too many ghosts Now everybody lately is living up in space Flying through transmissions on invisible airways With everything discovered just waiting to be known What's left for God to teach from his throne And who will forgive us when he's gone So take what you need now, honey, and do what you like. Don't worry about me, mama, I'm alright. And I can't stand the weather, no, I never liked the rain. We drink on the job and then we go home early And I remember she used to look so good in that dress Now she just screams how I promised her more than this Take it easy baby, it ain't over yet So take what you need now, honey, and do what you like. Don't worry about me, mama, I'm all right. And if there's something you need, and if there's something you find, Whatever gets you through the night Whatever gets you through the night And I never will forget you, my American love It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. 
Hey, this is Mike Wiebe, and I'm the singer in a band called The Riverboat Gamblers. And I'm Zach Blair. I play guitar in a band called Rise Against. Mike and I also have a band called The Draculas, and we also have this great, amazing new podcast called Zach and Mike Make Three. Yeah, each week we're going to ask ourselves and we're going to ask our guests what three favorite things they are into at that moment or in their entire lives. And then we're either going to agree with them or we're going to make fun of them. And uh, you're going to listen to it and you're going to like it or we will make fun of you. How about that? I just flipped it on you, the person listening to this right now. But we're going to do it every week here on the Sound Talent Network. Once again, it's called Zach and Mike Make Three. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Next Chapter Podcasts.